Well, comrade, what now? Straightforward conversation. Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories, stories within the panels. Man, that was could have been our cleanest opening ever. I was just so close. Stormies. You can repeat it, and we could re-edit the intro. No, I refuse. I'm so stubborn and so unwilling to admit failure that even in instances where other people's lives are at risk, I will. I absolutely refuse to accept defeat or responsibility because that's what leadership is yeah that's true you've mastered the three d's of leadership which i think if i remember correctly there's uh delegation uh deflection and denial yeah that sounds like something i would do or be yeah 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 I think uh, by by what you've described here and by your logic, I'm I'm CEO material. I'm I'm upper management. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> I would work for you. Well, be you. <laughs> what was you <laughs> then? <laughs> what was, what was anyone that would have that fate befall them? <laughs> hey. So, anyways. What are we covering today? It's been a while since I've been gone, so I guess we've got a little bit of uh, catching up to do. Um, just yeah. so you guys would know, uh, I spent the last week in Maine and the East Coast, so, you know. Hold up, hold up, Albert, hold up. Yeah. We didn't properly introduce ourselves. We oh, got right. caught up in our banter. You're right, you're right. I haven't Welcome done this for a while. Between so. the <laughs> <laughs> uh, Welcome to Between the Gutters. I'm your co-host, Albert. And with us is our other co-host. What's up, everybody? My name is Drew. Hey, hey. How's everyone go- doing? So I'm today presume... we are welcoming Albert back from his travels. Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna presume we're not gonna edit any of that out, but uh, well, you so don't... that people can just kind of imbibe in our uh, in our mess. The the lack of chemistry after taking a week off, where we're constantly just cutting each other off, talking at the same time, and just doing the best podcasting possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're watching us get our sea legs back, essentially. That's true. I've heard that concept before, but what does that really mean, Albert? What does what does where's that idiom come from? Uh, I think it's a sailing thing, and it's the idea of when you know sailors used to spend a whole bunch of time at sea. You would you know get accustomed to living a certain way, but you know back in the day, people just went 
on these uh, really long journeys you know they they would go on for years at a time before coming home and you know who knows how long it would be before they go and set out to sea again so it would just be that uh that idea of readjusting to being a sea person or a seaman as they call it so we're basically the seamen of podcasters right now. Absolutely. Got it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyways. You just returned yeah, was, from Maine. That was Maine, right? You went to Maine. I, that's correct. I went to Maine. I, I have often seen, you know, pictures and movies about, the the coastline over there and the the lighthouses and whatnot and i thought hey you know what i've never been out there uh it might be a good chance to go and just do some exploring and if you follow our instagram you'll see that when i go uh to these places i also make it a point to check out the various comic book stores uh, i created a new hashtag for it we are comics cartographers now meaning that you know in the way that cartographers map out the the unknown world so shall so too shall we map out the world of comics so you know yeah there's an ocean of comic book stores out there and as seamen it's our duty to map out all of the buoys where we can find our comic books exactly exactly and you know just so it's not all about you guys it's definitely for us too so it it's a record of where i've been and should i ever go back out there what stores are worth going to what stores are not worth going to um yeah it's 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 a little something i picked up from drew because whenever i go anywhere he he's the first one to ask you think there are any comic book stores up there so <laughs> i got yeah. a one track mine he does <laughs> he very much does <laughs> so we might as well just turn it into a thing and truth be told it's i i think it's it was good for me if only because you know there's a bunch there's definitely a bunch of sites out there for me to see that i can see uh but i think it also gives me a little something that's just for me that's not quite as touristy something that i can enjoy just to get a taste of local flavor and yeah that's i i think that's um yeah, it's 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 been a good addition to my traveling itinerary when when I add comic book stores to it because it just gives me a chance to pick up a little something fun while I'm out there and just to check out the wares of foreign comic shops that I've never been to. Um, although I will say that it does encumber me a little more because I tend to pack pretty light, so I don't always expect to like come back with bundles and bundles of extra stuff that i wasn't expecting to get but it, it is quite a quite a quite an exercise trying to make everything fit in my backpack <laughs> yeah yeah it's been cool that you've been posting those up on our instagram feed and you've been saving those to make them easy to find in our highlights so if you check our instagram page and look at the comic shop highlights we can find all the different stores that you've been to. It's always fun looking at the pictures that you post just to see 
how many comics or how many long boxes and stuff are in those stores. And I just imagine myself digging through them. And then, of course, yeah. sometimes you'll tell me that, oh, that store didn't have anything on sale or all of the stuff in their long boxes were just sticker price. And then I'm like, okay, I guess I don't feel as bad missing out on stuff like that. Yeah. But when you yeah. do find those places with the what dollar bins or 50 cent bins, I'm like licking my chops, man. It's great. I mean, even though you don't get to be there, you're living vicariously through me and I'm finding stuff for you too. I'm fine. I'm like, I'm looking for things that will complete uh, comics that we're searching for on your list and mine. And seeing as how, you know, we're, we're all in, we're both in California and the Bay area. We've, uh, I wouldn't say we've exhausted the comic book shops out here, but we've, we've definitely gone to quite a few of them. And, you know, after spending time going to the various comic shops, it, it takes us months, maybe, if not like a year for, for them to replenish uh, in the hopes that we'll see something new. Right. Cause otherwise yeah. we just be digging through the same old stuff that we've already seen. Mm-hmm. So I did meet, I would say that as I've been traveling, I've spent a lot of time in airports. I have been on many a flights and the vast majority of them were pleasant experiences. But I will also say that uh, on this trip, I met like probably the most unpleasant human being I've ever met (laughs) on a plane. Um, Now this isn't probably isn't as bad as any of those videos that we've seen of people on planes um you know at the height of covid or or not even at, at the height of covid but during that era of time where people were really getting belligerent on planes because um well mostly they were just self-entitled just, jerks yeah exactly exactly people didn't want to mask up they didn't want to uh, you know provide proof of their vaccine shot or whatever and it was just kind of people being belligerent for the sake of being belligerent like like they were making some sort of principled stand instead of acknowledging that they were just annoying everybody else on the plane um but yeah but this guy was still pretty bad i'd say um yeah on on my own personally personal relative scale he was the worst person i'd ever met uh and the thing about him was he's he's this older dude um he had a shaved head he walked around in one of those uh track suits <laughs> like a tracksuit like, mafia kind of yeah really trashy really like <laughs> like i don't know what if he was he thought he was cool or or what but i just yeah i i've I've seen that sort of thing on maybe on TV as as a caricature of a type of person, but I've yeah. never met an actual person like that before, you know, <laughs> uh, who like unironically dressed like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this guy just sucked. He, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tell us about him, man. What do you do? What do you say? I was going to say something, but. <laughs> no, no, just. This is your podcast, uh, man. Just be unfiltered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking for the words to it for it. I'm trying to be <laughs> eloquent, but I don't know that I can be eloquent with just this this massive chode. Um, 
but he was the per- kind of person who almost felt it almost felt like he was completely unaware of what flight he was flying on like we were all on frontier which is just a z-list airline probably i think the best thing you can say is if you landed without crashing that's probably the best compliment that you can give it <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly there theirs is not a airline that is known for its service or its hospitality or really anything other than we got you to where you were going <laughs> at the end of this okay okay so there was all that but i remember we were essentially in the second to the very last row on on the plane so we were way 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 in the back and as i came in i had pepper with me in a bag and this guy was right behind me so you know i move out of the way i let him sit down first and then i put my bag in and he's already kind of grumbling and you got to realize again this being frontier they don't give you any amenities there's already very limited space so the fact that i put pepper's bag in there just took up that much more space and from the looks of it he was already trying to give himself a pretty wide sitting stance because he really wanted to you know maximize his space but when he saw like me putting this bag under the chair in front of me he he was just kind of grumbling to himself and it wasn't it wasn't the kind of grumbling where it wasn't like an internal grumbling where you know his displeasure could be seen in his body energy or his uh, movements or anything like that. He was like mm-hmm. vocally grumbling out loud, <laughs> and I remember at first what was he, he, saying? he says he said he at, at first he he said something to the effect of, "Hey, um, I'm allergic to dogs. Do you mind turning her the other way?" So you know, in an effort to be like considerate and polite, I was like, "Yeah, sure." So I turned her back away from him so that it wasn't facing him but then he continued to just like bitch and moan because he would just continue to talk about it and he'd say things like uh i can't believe i gotta like share a thing uh, share this seat with a dog there's already no space in here and dog smells <laughs> blah 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 and like he just wouldn't shut up about it and was he, he making eye even... contact with you or looking at you at all no he wasn't like that was but the you, thing you guys he were was... sitting directly next to each other right exactly exactly it was it was annoying. <laughs> like, I wouldn't even say it was bizarre. It was just annoying because it was obvious that he was talking about me. And then it wasn't even me because um, it wasn't like limited ju- to just me because at one point, uh, the the flight staff are doing their whole spiel and talking about the safety precautions. And this guy was just, he was, he was bitching and moaning about that too. He was, he was saying things like- do that on like, every flight though. <laughs> exactly. But he was, he just- was you know complaining about how he just wanted them to shut up and da 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 <laughs> and it it just seemed like such a stupid thing to complain about right it's it it didn't really make any sense to me either it was just like look man i don't know like if you've never flown on a plane before i don't know if you know what this is supposed to be but yeah <laughs> like maybe he's flown um, on lots of planes before and that's why he thinks he doesn't need to hear any of the safety stuff it's but even if, like, I, I gain no real pleasure hearing any of the safety stuff either, but I don't see any need to, like, complain about it, you know? It's just mm-hmm. procedure, right? But this guy was just so entitled and just 
had his head so far up his own ass that he felt like he deserved to complain about everything and he deserved to like he just it it just felt like he was the kind of guy who was just inconvenienced by every it felt like he was put on this earth to be inconvenienced by everyone <laughs> that's that just genuinely felt like what his attitude was the irony then, is that he's the one inconveniencing everyone around him <laughs> absolutely absolutely he was not a pleasure at all to sit next to and he didn't seem to care at all but i remember once 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 we got into the air um they turned down the lights and we were our flight was a red eye we were flying leaving uh, we were leaving i think orlando at 10 p.m and we were supposed to arrive in las vegas at about one in the morning mm-hmm. so i remember i didn't want to sleep because because um yeah I, I i wanted to be able to sleep once i got to las vegas so i turned on my reading light and you know everyone gets their own reading light and nobody gets to dictate to anybody else who gets to do what with their reading light, right? Right. It seems pretty fair. And this guy, like when the lights went down and my reading light was on, it was just a lot of, I can't believe this. A lot of a lot of that, right? <laughs> and again, it was just him like just doing it just loud enough for me to hear, but he didn't have the balls to say anything to my face, you know? <laughs> just like, great, I'm not gonna be able to sleep. I can't believe this. It was like a lot of that. It was just this guy was just unbelievable. And at that point, when I had heard that in my mind, I was like, well, now I'm really not gonna turn off the light, you know. <laughs> So I just kept it on. it on for that. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you left now it I on, man. Now I have to leave it on. Yeah. <laughs> so I just was left it on for the flight? Yeah, it was a full flight. And that was the other thing. And this guy was like really trying his best to like get moved to another seat. Um Yeah, just super annoying stuff. Like just the fact that he wasn't happy about his situation at all as if he deserved better or something. <laughs> uh but anyways, yeah, that whole thing happens. And like the cherry on top was once we land and we're in Vegas, we're all the way, like I said, we were the second to the last row. So at that point, it's just like, there's no real need to rush. Like you, you're, you're basically at the end. You, you can just wait, right? Mm-hmm. So once the plane lands, the majority of people get off the plane. There are these two older people, like geriatrics. Like it genuinely felt like, a stiff breeze could knock them over. That's how Whoa. like fragile and like delicate these two, this old couple looked, a man and a woman, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a harsh bump in any direction could like very easily break something. That's how delicate they looked. So I'm getting Uh-oh. my bags. I'm getting my, uh, my bags together. I'm waiting and I'm just letting these old people do their thing. And this guy's like behind me and he just goes, he just, he doesn't even make it he he asks as a courtesy but his actions completely do not like speak to that right because he's he's just impatient he just wants to get out of there so instead of saying you know in, instead of waiting patiently he goes excuse me i'm going to try to get through here and he just like trucks it past me and like this old couple and i just it was just I was just pretty disgusted by him at that point. I I had no reason to know him and my life was not better for it. 
perhaps if only to be able to tell Drew this story. <laughs> when he trucked it past you, did he make physical contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. The aisles aren't huge. So he basically the just aisles... shoved you out of the way and shoved these old this older couple out of the way? I'd say so. <clears throat> yeah, he, he wasn't a good person at all. I feel you <clears throat> choking on your own hate for him right now. <laughs> <laughs> My bile. I just have so much bile at the moment. <clears throat> Sorry, something happened just now. I don't know. My uh, my throat closed up just out of fury, sheer <laughs> anger. <laughs> your hatred for him was just... <laughs> you were choking on your own hatred. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, that's the sort of thing that just makes me... Just makes me hate humanity so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How was Pepper during the trip? Uh, so we've been on quite a few trips in this past month or so, um, maybe two months. I think it's like three destinations in two months. And I think it took a toll on her. She was pretty burnt out. Um, she was just keeping up just to keep up towards the end of it. And I remember when we got home, she was, well, one she hadn't eaten all day because I think she was having stomach issues. And then she like on her way out of the airport, like we were so close to the exit and she just ended up, you know, releasing her bowels, mm. which sucked for me, but sucked for her too. It was, it was really pitiable too. Cause I ran out of wipes. I wasn't even able to clean her entirely. I had to clean up with what I did have. And once the major, once my wipes were gone, I had to take her to the bathroom and just get paper towels. Yeah. But, was the bathroom yeah. close by at least? Yeah, it was close enough. Maybe, you know, uh, 20, 30 feet, something okay, like that. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. But we make it outside. Um, once I get her home, I, I like bathe her and she was just so happy to be out of there because once I dried her off, she, she just ran around the room kind of refamiliarizing herself with everything she she went and jumped onto my bed and was just kind of rolling around under the blankets and then she <laughs> ran over to like just a random stack of comics and she started ru rubbing herself on these comics <laughs> it, was, it was pretty ridiculous <laughs> which comics was she rubbing herself on i i just have a stack of um my comics to read so you know it's just a random pile of just things i've accumulated that you know, I'm I'm going to go through as as time goes by. So, what did I have in there? Like, I have like some random Marvel Masterworks and uh, some random EC EC comics in there, uh, EC reprints. Okay. Stuff okay. like that. Wow, that is funny. Yeah. She missed yeah, her comics too, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. That was my trip, and I will post some pictures of the comic shops that I went to. I do have, um, I mean, I guess I could talk about it a little bit. Uh, there was, I'd say, most of the comic shops I went to were pretty decent, but there were some, there were some, there was some garbage <laughs> shops in there too. Um, the one, the one shop that I can remember specifically was this one place called poor man or poor boy comics <clears throat> and the thing was i had prior to that i had stopped by another shop uh called ghost kid comics and it's not a very big store but 
they had two 50 cent bins and then they had a few long boxes of um half off comics and a few long boxes of like three dollar comics mm-hmm. and they didn't even have that many trade paperbacks but i was talking to the owner a little bit and just asking him about his situation and what it was like being in this particular area of the strip and he seemed like a really cool guy so i didn't mind throwing money his way um while i was in there this other dude was selling a bunch of comics so i guess he had a bunch of uh boxes he was trying to get rid of and the guy gave him like 350 dollars for all those comics mm-hmm. and you know the 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 dude selling his comics was like hey can you throw in a couple of packs of pokemon cards and he was like yeah sure so you know that was, i thought that was pretty generous of the dude to to do that and he was saying yeah there are a couple of things in here that are worth some money and if i sell everything else for a buck i make that much back you know i make like 350 back and change okay. and i figure he'll you know go tell people to come out here and it's it was like just in this random plaza out it's it's close to the strip but it still just feels like it's just a random plaza and Mm -hmm. the store itself doesn't really draw that much attention because it's just a wall and a door so you don't even have like a window where you can really see what's going on uh the door itself they they put up some like reflective material so you, you except for the sign you don't really see what's in there you wouldn't mm-hmm. even be able to tell it was really a comic shop unless you knew you were looking for it okay but but the dude was cool so i was like yeah i'm just here from out of town i'm gonna go check out uh some of the stores here i'm gonna check out um poor boy comics next and i don't I don't think he was like purposely trying to set up my expectations but he just goes oh yeah i see them at a bunch of shows uh i don't i never really thought of them as a comics uh shop because every time i see them at conventions and shows they're just the kind of people that sell like pops so if funko you know pops. Drew, yeah funko pops if you know drew that's already a bad sign right yeah. there one of the most useless <laughs> types of collectibles yeah yeah it's uh drew has a lot of things that he hates and fungal pops is quickly making its way up that list <laughs> definitely definitely if you get me talking about them too long i might start choking the way you were choking talking about that dude <laughs> i will choke a fungal pop uh, collector <laughs> into unconsciousness into submission <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so i take it uh my my uh, lift to this other shop and turns out the shop is in the mall so if you've seen our post then you already know that i don't really have too much respect for mall comic shops but (laughs) i was like hey okay whatever like if they have comics that's all i care about and at this point i'm carrying my luggage i'm carrying pepper i'm carrying her things so i'm pretty burdened down with a bunch of stuff and i'm walking around this giant empty mall and it's it's a pretty sad sight because it just feels like it's a mall that's on the verge of death it's just super empty in there there are all these businesses and all these employees but it doesn't really feel like anyone's doing much of anything Mm. um i remember like towards the end on one side there's like an adventure zone where you have like go-karts and um you know i guess it's supposed to be like an arcade or something and on the other side there was also a like an aquarium like an indoor aquarium and there was just nobody there it was just this so sad what day of the week was this 
Um, I want to say it was like a Monday or Tuesday. Oh, okay. Yeah, Tuesday. I believe it was Tuesday. Maybe so, it gets busier on the weekends. I don't know. Maybe, but skeptical. Yeah, once I got to the comic book shop, I, like I was just so filled with disgust at it. I was just <laughs> in my mind, I was like, it deserves to be in a place like this. Was it really a so, shop that only sold Funko Pops and things of that nature? It wasn't. There was a decent amount of comics there, but it really felt like a dungeon in the sense that if you've seen kind of the stereotypical comics dungeon, if you can imagine that where like the just, comic book guy from The Simpsons? Yeah, like the comic book guy where he just has everything and apparently they think everything is worth a fortune. So <laughs> they're not willing to part with it unless you match the exact price that they think it's worth. So they'll sell you all sorts of garbage, but because they believe it, they'll be like, yeah, man, this uh, this issue of Superboy Zero, it's it's worth like a hundred bucks. It's zero, <laughs> you know? It comes before issue one. <laughs> yeah. So it's got to be the first, you know, it's garbage like that. Just ludicrous, delusional comics logic, comic collector logic is what it is. Key collector so, logic. Key collector logic, exactly. So I'm walking around this store, and I think there are some things that were on sale. I did see something for like a buck, but for the most part, everything was sticker price. And it's not like they had short boxes or long boxes. It, it's just that everything was, yeah, everything was just all over the place. And you just had to either know what you were looking for or just kind of wander. Hmm. And there were there were a bunch of Funko Pops there. There were a bunch of trading card games, uh, a bunch of random merch. It was just it was pretty it was pretty packed in there. I, I really felt like I was in a a labyrinth walking around because I really had to be careful not to get snagged on anything and you know drag a shelf with me or something. <laughs> oh, because you're carrying all your luggage and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the one saving grace of the experience was <laughs> i did get to take a picture of a lot of ridiculous garbage that they thought was worth money and <laughs> that was entertaining was just laughing at them thinking that you know <laughs> they they literally had a wall of spawn comics and none of those spawn comics were priced at cover or even less they all had sticker prices going for pretty ridiculous amounts I mean, I'd even say like charging five bucks for a $3 Spawn comic is ridiculous at this point because... Yeah, that's pretty dumb. Who cares? Who wants it? Who wants this? I don't know, you man. Know? Did you see yeah. any characters there? Did you... I'm mean, like customers that were characters? I did not. It was pretty dead in there. Okay. I, I was the only person in there. I was walking around. I think a guy came in for like a second and then proceeded to leave shortly thereafter, like even <laughs> before I came out, so... But yeah, I'm going to post those on our Instagram and you'll totally see just just how how sad the place was. So you but, were yeah. in Maine and then you went to Orlando and then Vegas and then came home? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a lot of stops along the way. So were there any other characters that you came across in any of the other stores that you visited? Oh my. Jeez, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. I don't think so. I I don't feel like this time around I really saw anything that um jumped out at me in terms of characters. I I really got a 
I have to go back to my pictures and <laughs> and kind of re-enter the state of mind that I was at when I was at the various stores. Once you look so, at your pictures, you'll be looking at the background, all the people in the background in your photos, and you'll be like, wait a minute, that guy was a neckbeard. <laughs> that guy was a key collector hunting down <laughs> Carnage first appearance. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> no, okay, I got something. I got something. Okay, okay. Um, There was this one shop that I went to in Maine called Galactic Comics. And um, I don't know, I feel like living online so much you and, and even in popular cu- culture there's a lot of stuff about what a stereotypical comic book person looks like um and there's the whole thing of what a uh yeah like i, I think there's a, a huge presumption that or or stereotype that these comic book collectors tend to be like neckbeards they tend to be a little chunkier they tend to you know have an odor shall we say <laughs> and, but i can be honest um i've never really experienced that I, I i'd say that when i go to cons i'll see that occasionally but i've never seen a comic book shop like that and in maine i went to this one store called galactic comics and that was definitely a case where i was like oh man this is like where it all started. This is the Petri dish at where that uh, stereotype was birthed, you know? Oh, man. Because <laughs> I went in there and the staff were friendly. It, it was fine. But you go in and then in the back room, there's a small room with a bunch of dollar comics. So I go back there and there's, I guess a cast of characters that are like their regulars around this one table and they're just playing uh, Pokemon card games and just making various quips and whatever. It's, it's very much a scene out of like the big bang theory or something, just kind of painful to the heart. Uh (laughs) And, (laughs) and when I go to the dollar boxes to like dig through it, um, there's this woman there and she I think she had either a tablet or her phone and she was, she had a pile of these dollar comics and she was scanning them with her phone. And I look over. Yeah. And she was scanning the barcodes and I look over and I was like, Oh, is that the key collector app? And she goes, yeah, I've got a lot of comics and it's just easier for me to scan these than to like, you know, just check to see like what I have and what I don't have. So really based on face yeah based on face value maybe i can believe that that's genuinely what she was doing but the fact that she's using like a key collector app to do that also indicates that she's she's in it for the bills <laughs> i didn't know the key collector app actually scanned uh barcodes like that yeah well i mean that's what i asked her so she I, it could have been some some other app but um but is that really faster sure. though? Because it, it feels like, like, it would take. Feels like that would take longer than just looking at a list. I don't know how her mind works, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> you figure, yeah, you've got to, you've got to locate the barcode. Sometimes the comics have their barcodes on the back cover, so you, if it's in a bag, you got to take it out of the bag to scan it. If there's, if it's got a bag and board, and then you got to scan it with the app. And then I figure with an app, like 
It still has to load it, right? It's got to process it. It doesn't give it to you instantaneously. So it feels like that whole process say, just takes takes the thing makes things take so long. Slows you down. She might have been that lazy where scrolling up and down on a list was just too much work for her. And she <laughs> preferred to just wait a few seconds and let the machine do all the work. Oh, man. That sounds like mm-hmm. the kind of person that would bust out a calculator to do simple addition. <laughs> yeah. I I was I mean the store itself was fine and I'm sure the people were overall harmless. They they certainly weren't the worst kind of comics people I'd ever seen. But it it definitely felt like I was in it felt like I had just walked into like the Big Bang Theory or something. <laughs> Yeah, and for anyone out there listening, Albert hates the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Actually, well, I hate to be it too. fair, Drew hates it too, exactly. I probably hate it more. <laughs> <laughs> this is the episode where we talk about just things that Drew hates. <laughs> Funko Pops, Key Collectors, the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> what else? What you got? Come at me, bro. <laughs> well... I like humanity as a concept. It's I like individual humanity. people I can't stand. <laughs> exactly. I like humanity because of the um, unintended effect of their presence making me not lonely or not feel quite <laughs> as alone. But on the flip side of that, I have to live with them, yeah. with the worst of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, good catching up on that. We should probably move on to the topic for the day. Let us so go. What are we talking about here, Albert? We're doing an autopsy on the Marvels, the most the recent. The Marvtopsy. The Marvtopsy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The most recent offering from the MCU that came out a little over a week ago as we are recording this. Yeah. Just to start off. Did you have any initial thoughts leading up to the movie in terms of the trailers or any other possible hype? Were you how interested were you in watching this before you actually saw it? Uh, whew, what to say? I think I think in terms of my awareness of it, I think it was all. If I had to be honest, it was the majority of my awareness of it wasn't anything good like there were already the people that were looking for it to fail and that were hoping for it to fail so that would you know justify their existence or whatever but um aside from that there was also just a lot of news about how uh marvel itself was really managing expectations and they didn't expect that this was going to be a movie that was going to do well at all um mm-hmm. in terms of the trailers themselves i admittedly i i didn't see anything in the trailer that necessarily did anything for me but i didn't really see anything that made me like you know outright hated or or anything either it was it just it was just kind of a trailer it was like fine whatever right like mm-hmm. I can honestly say I've seen other trailers, far more other trailers where I've watched them and 
in the two or three minutes of a, of snippets of what I've seen, I already knew. I, I like felt the pain of just like how bad that movie was going to be. And I, I didn't get anything like that from the Marvels. Yeah. At, this might be a backhanded compliment. Well, it's not a compliment, but it's a statement. <laughs> um, but it was a completely innocuous trailer to me. Yeah. I was not excited to see it, but I didn't feel offended by it either. I just I just thought, okay, it's a thing that's going to exist. What of it? Hmm. How about you? That makes sense. I think I was pretty similar too. Like I'd say I had interest in watching it. I mean, obviously we ended up watching it mm. for the podcast, but even if we weren't going to podcast about it, I probably still would have watched it anyway. And just... maybe maybe you could say that part of it is just because I'm kind of I don't know if you'd want to call it a zombie or just hooked on the MCU or whatever, but I I would hesitate to say that I'm invested in it because I'm not necessarily emotionally invested in it, but I'm always curious about it because somewhere deep down in my heart, I always got love for Marvel comics, you know? So like seeing, seeing uh, something that doesn't seem like it'll be completely stupid something that doesn't offend me in the trailer. Yeah, I'll I'll be interested in giving the movie a shot and I enjoyed the first Captain Marvel well enough. It it wasn't one of my favorite MCU flicks or anything like that, but I think I probably enjoyed it about as much as most of the other ones. Mm-hmm. So I'd I'd say my expectations for the Marvels was pretty low, but I was still interested in just checking it out. I wasn't I wasn't going to throw a tantrum if it wasn't the best movie ever or anything like that. You know, it's just being realistic about a piece of entertainment. So there's not really that level of uh, emotion involved in it. It's just trying to keep an open mind to see what this movie was all about. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. It's reasonable. Uh, I think there are substantially more unreasonable takes online it's if you want to look for an unreasonable take online you know throw a rock and you'll definitely find something <laughs> yeah yeah so Just go on youtube and look up the marvels commentary yeah, and dive sure into the find... cesspool of the internet and they yeah, will show exactly. you they will show you the the depths of just depravity of humanity <laughs> Do you have any particular love for Carol Danvers, Monica Rambeau, Kamala Khan, or or anything else associated with the movie? Like, do you have any love for the characters uh, in their comic book incarnations? Any affinity for them? Um, I do like, I did like the redesign of Carol Danvers when she went from being Miss Marvel to Captain Marvel. I thought that was a cool move on their part. It was a move that made sense to me. And yeah, I was, I mean, I'm not going to say I was like happy about it, but I was, I was on board, you know, there wasn't anything in there that struck me as something that I felt like I needed to be against. So I, I did like that redesign for Captain Marvel, uh, Carol Danvers, and the, the entire change of her status quo 
going from Miss Marvel to just taking on the the title of Captain Marvel. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I dug that. Monica Rambeau, I, I really haven't read any comics with her. The only thing that I did read was Next Wave by Warren Ellis and Stuart Eminen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, that was probably the best thing that for me personally, that all three of these characters out of out of all the comics that these characters were in that was probably the best thing that i liked um i i I do think that monica rambeau like in more recent uh incarnations the more i've seen of her the more um modern they've made her design the more i've liked that because growing up the version of monica rambeau was the the one with the the wing flaps and and the onesie and that kind of Zorro mask thing. Yeah, yeah, and she had um, the afro. Yeah, that was that was the version of Monica Rambo that I grew up with, and I I don't think that really ever struck me as as anything I was super into. But I have seen the more modern versions where they've put streaks of blue in with the silver, and I do like that design. So there's that. And uh, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, I-, I like the idea of her, but I think I'm just <laughs> waiting for something to come out that really like speaks to me. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. for our listeners, we did do a couple of Ms. Marvel episodes in the past. We talked about a bunch of Ms. Marvel comics back in episode 131. And then in episode 136, we did an autopsy for the Ms. Marvel disney plus show so if you want to hear what we had to say about her you can check those episodes out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm pretty much with you man i don't think i've read too many stories with monica rambo uh she's a character that was in a bunch of comics that i read but she never was like the focus of those stories you know like she's she would just be like another member of the Avengers or something. And I do remember reading some of the, the 80s Avengers comics. I, I want to say uh, it was the Roger Stern era. And those were some good comics. I enjoyed those. I enjoyed that run of Avengers, at least the chunks of it that I've read. And Monica Rambeau was in some of those. I think that might have been the era when she was first becoming an Avenger. Because the things I remember from those issues was that she was learning the ropes of becoming a member of the team and just being treated as the rookie. And then after that, I just feel like there were so many years where as we were kids growing up in the nineties, she was just kind of a background character. Like maybe we'd see her in group shots or something, or during a big battle, she'd be in the background firing a, a bolt of energy or something. But for the most part, it wasn't really until next wave that, she had any like memorable or fun moments. Hmm. There was uh, yeah. some recent, some more recent stuff with her, or at least when I say recent, I'm, I'm probably talking like in the past 10 years or so, but I remember she was in the out Ewing ultimates comic. I never read the whole run though. So I can't really say I have much to say about that one. That was one of those books where I borrowed it from the library, the the trade, 
the epic collection or ultimate collection of the whole series. And I think I just got bogged down with too many other comics and I ended up having to return it before I could read like more than two or three issues of it. (laughs) (laughs) That is the curse of our life is to be forever just drowning in comics, never to make any headway. Yeah, because I've got a stack of comics that I bought that I haven't read. You know, my unread pile just keeps getting bigger with every passing month. But that hasn't stopped me from borrowing comics from the library. (laughs) So I've got to read my library books before I can read my own books. And it's just, it's a sickness, I tell you. It's a sickness. Drew's a fiend. He is just straight a fiend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. If there's nothing else. Wait, do you have any favorite Carol Danvers comics? Oh, um... No, I like I I think I've read a few of the Kelly Sue DeConnick. Um I can't say that I really read enough of it to to give an honest impression. Um I, I, I don't think I like the art enough to where I could really enjoy it. Uh I do have a curiosity about the more recent well uh, and I'm I'm saying this, you know, relatively speaking, but it might be like five years old now, but I did want to check out the Kelly Thompson, I think. Uh, I think uh, that was the mm-hmm. the era of Captain Marvel. And I think, I thought those covers were cool. And some of the things that they were teasing within those were kind of, uh, what's the word? They were intriguing, you know? Uh, there's... There's that one cover that I think Russell Dowderman did where he redesigned Binary. Uh, mm. I thought that was really cool. I, yeah. I that was that was super awesome. Um, enough that, you know, it's always been in the back of my mind to like someday check it out. But, you know, unlike Drew, I'm <laughs> I I don't wish to drown in my comics. So I, I have a moratorium on the things that I can and can't read. And until I have my head above water, I am not to borrow anything new unless I absolutely have to read it. For the podcast? Um, Yes, for the podcast, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We have to set limitations on ourselves sometimes. Otherwise, it could just end badly. (laughs) You? Uh, I think when it comes to Carol Danvers... Her solo stories, I haven't really read a ton of them. I think when when Brian Reed did his run, I read the first one or two volumes of it, but it wasn't really anything that grabbed me. That was back when she was still going by Ms. Marvel and had that swimsuit lightning bolt sash costume. Yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, after that, I th- I think a few years later, then there was the Kelly Sue DeConnick run. And when that run came out, definitely I did like the redesign of the costume by Jamie McKelvey. Like, I think that's one of the best costumes that we've had in superhero comics in a super long time. But yeah, like you were saying, you didn't like the art when it first launched. Um, I actually reread the first issue of it earlier today because last month you know how they do those uh free halloween comics every year 
and it's kind of like free comic book day except they don't do as many comics but one of the free comics was a reprint of that first kelly sue deconic captain marvel so I, mm-hmm. I picked a copy of that up just to have it and it had been a super long time since i read it the first time and yeah dexter soy's artwork is definitely not to my taste i think mm-hmm. that's what made it hard for me to to read that run <clears throat> but I, I did read the second chunk of her run and i thought that was pretty good because at some point during kelly sue's run she they did a new number one and that one had different artists i forget who all the artists were but i remember david lopez was one of those artists and he he was great and i i did read that run and and from what i remember of it yeah i enjoyed it quite a bit and it was the kind of thing that made me interested in going back to the beginning of Kelly Sue DeConnick's run and maybe giving it a fair shot uh, to start with and read it, you know, properly all the way through at some point. But yeah, other than that, I'd say she shows up in a ton of the Avengers comics I've read and I always did enjoy her. I think, I think there are definitely times when things get super convoluted with her. Like when you examine her backstory or her origin, it's yeah. uh, pretty questionable. I wouldn't touch. <laughs> yeah, definitely things I wouldn't touch. And then like one of the other things I remember a lot, and this was a strange point, and I'm, I'm pretty glad that they didn't really bring this into her movie incarnation, but there was a point when she was also an, an alcoholic like Tony Stark. Hmm. So I had these Avengers comics. I think it was, I don't know if it was introduced earlier than this, but my memory of it is in the Kurt Busiek run where she was struggling with being an alcoholic and it was affecting her her job performance and they ended up kicking her off the team. And, you know, she was pretty pissed off about it and it just made her seem like an uncool person. So that was probably like yeah. a low point for her. Not to say that the story itself was poorly written or anything because that, I like that Kurt Busiek run, but I think in retrospect, that probably wasn't the kindest story uh, to portray Ms. Marvel, you know? Mm-hmm. I actually do kind of remember that era for her because I think that was right around the time of the Heroes Reborn era. It was and... Heroes Return, Heroes Return. Oh, return. Right after. Yeah, Return. Yeah. Right, right. She was an angry drunk return. dude. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, she ended up being, she ended up being in the uh, Iron Man book as one of basically his supporting characters. And I think the idea was, well, he was an alcoholic at one point, and he's gonna help her get through this. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I forget who wrote it. It was. I think that was Boostick also. Forgive me. Really? Okay. Because Boostick was writing was Iron Asian. Man and Avengers around the same period. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense then. So, there we go. So tell me, Albert, what are your general spoiler-free thoughts on the Marvels? I think the plot was simpler than the first one, and I think for my taste, I actually I probably enjoyed that more. Um, you know, just because it was just an easier it was an easier watch. Um, other than that, 
there's no really other way for me to put it except for what I said earlier about the trailer. It's to me, it's a film that's pretty innocuous. Um, I don't think it's something that makes it on any lists of mine. It's not something that I'm not going to say that I love it uh, because I, I don't, but it's fine. You know, uh, I, I'd also say that this is as fair a review as I can give it because if you really want to hate it or if you're looking for something hate to hate about it, I'd say that it's pretty easy to focus on the things that you don't like. So um, I just feel like for a lot of reviewers out there who are inclined to hate it or who have their own personal reasons for hating it, it's going to be easy for them to like cherry pick the things that they do hate and kind of ignore the things that are of any value in it. So yeah, like I, I, I can't say that it's a movie that I would give a glaring review to or say that you have to go watch it or you have to go see it. It's that's not really the case, mm-hmm. but you know, I thought it was a fine movie and I do even think that there were, things about it that i did enjoy i think there were things about it that were kind of missed opportunities um things while i was watching it that made me chuckle and that made me think oh they could have it was a missed opportunity i'll I'll go into it a little later but yeah they could have done they could have gone a direction with it and that could have been an interesting route but um yeah overall um i'd say the things or the thing that i like about it was more more the smaller scale kind of personal interactions between them as opposed mm. to the you know the 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 huge battle or the universe sized scale threats um and stakes uh i don't really it was fine uh, like but i i don't think that was the thing like i wasn't watching this and feeling some sense of excitement as i was watching it you know thinking how are they gonna get out of this oh what what a major villain what you know and <laughs> all that stuff that you this kind of animated associate. version of albert sounds like a parody of who you actually are yeah well <laughs> it probably is the last time i've ever seen you excited or animated about anything that's true. That's true. Even even in Infinity War, I wasn't like jumping up and down and hooting and hollering like there were boobs on the screen or anything. Um, <laughs> but I, I yeah. think the one time I've seen you come close to being animated was during that scene in Endgame when it was the final battle and Ant-Man <laughs> grew into a giant and he punched the heck out of one of those flying eel things. And that just made you start laughing hecka hard. That was funny, man. It, it just was, came out man. of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it, but I laughed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and and that time when we were watching Eternals and Druig hit Sprite in the back of the head with a rock while she was talking, that made you laugh pretty hard, too. I was pretty happy about that. I mean, yeah. I just saw a little child get beamed in the back of the head. With a rock. With a rock. I didn't need By anything for Christmas that year. <laughs> yeah well anyways that's that's my thoughts on it and you know i'm happy to go into it more once we get into the main discussion but i'm curious to see what 
what you felt about it. Uh, I was entertained by it, but ultimately I was unimpressed as well. I'd say that mm-hmm. watching the movie was, I had fun with it. Like I was saying earlier, going into it, I had low expectations, so I didn't, I wasn't thinking that this was going going to blow me away or surprise me or anything, but I think if anything, it would have just been, you know, a fun night and it wasn't a very long movie compared to some of the other MCU flicks that we've had in recent times. It was entertaining in the sense that there were some fun bits of interaction between the characters that we've uh, that we haven't seen interact with each other before, you know, just with Ms. Marvel, with Kamala Khan, knowing that she's this fangirl of Captain Marvel. There was something amusing about seeing their interactions together, especially early on. Um, I think as far as the story goes, there was nothing there that really grabbed me or or hooked me in. Like you were saying earlier, there are some things where if they had made different storytelling choices, maybe things could have turned differently. And, you know, maybe I would have been a little bit more into it myself. But, you know, this is the movie that we got and I had fun with it. You know, there were parts of it that made me laugh. There are parts of it that I wasn't very fond of. But... Ultimately, there wasn't really anything that yeah. annoyed me or, or, or got on my nerves yeah. to the point where I feel like strongly about it, you know? Because I've seen... I need to tell the entire internet yeah. <laughs> to hate this with me. <laughs> it's, it seems to be a pretty polarizing movie because there's definitely voices, you know, the, the people, the usual suspects, the, the regular old peanut gallery that... We've come to there expect. are goblins and chodes that exist on the internet who yeah. only feel good when they know that this movie has failed. And right, right. There's there's a bunch of those guys. I think um, some maybe some of the really hardcore Snyder or DC fanboys are yeah. kind of uh, on a similar wavelength to that. But then there are also people who do seem to genuinely really enjoy this movie. Um, and I can't say I feel that strongly about it either. Hmm. I wouldn't say that. I, I don't really have a ton of effusive praise for the movie, but I, I guess the best thing I can really say about it is that I had fun watching it and I was entertained by it, but it didn't really make me think. And if there's one thing that we do on Between the Gutters, it's overthink our superhero comics. <laughs> and this doesn't really <laughs> right. give me a whole lot to overthink. That's true. That's true. Uh, it's um, substance-wise. Well, I guess now that I'm sitting here and talking to you about it, I suppose there's things that we can kind of parcel out of it if I really try. But you know, in my first viewing of it, I didn't really feel like there was anything obvious there to me that made me feel like, oh yeah, this is a movie that's trying to say something about, about anything X Y Z. Yeah, about anything. Yeah. Should we just go into full spoiler mode now? Let's rip that band-aid off, baby. All right. So where do you want to start, Albert? Where do you want to start this discussion? Well, 
I guess we could just kind of go into the various sections that we generally rate things by and just go from there with the conversation. So, mm -hmm. yeah, let's talk about something like the aesthetics, first of all. Um, Pretty standard MCU yeah. flick, in my opinion. Exactly. I didn't really have anything much to say about it. Um, I think there's probably a lot of things going on behind the scenes that kind of affect the quality of their CG or whatever. Yeah. So um, I don't think there was anything, at least as far as I can tell, that looked as bad as something like Ant-Man, Quant-Man Mania. But... Quant-Man Mania. <laughs> <laughs> Quant-Man Mania. But... Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> That's how I pronounce it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like they didn't have anything as bad looking as the Modoc. So yeah, uh, there's that. Um, it yeah, definitely uh, looks better than a lot of their Disney Plus shows. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Generally speaking, I do. I I don't have much to say. I think I I did like the, and you know you might disagree with me and that's fine, but I did like uh, the costume that she had at the beginning where she had the little gloves and kind of the rolled up sleeves. I was like, oh, it's it's not really a costume. It looks more just like a a bodysuit or something. Uh, okay, and, okay. You know, she had those uh, the the little like I think they might have even been like fingerless gloves and. You know, in my book, if you go fingerless gloves, you get points. <laughs> you dig that look, don't you? I did. I was like, I. it wasn't a flashy look, but it was very simple, very practical. I was just like, okay, cool. I wonder if that was a shout out to the Olivier Coipel design that we had in his Avengers run. I can't remember if she had fingerless gloves in, in that one, though. I forget. But that one was basically like, Wearing a bodysuit, and I think she had a vest, and she still had her mask on, but basically looked like, I don't know, an army soldier or something, even though she's an Air Force. Oh, okay. Was that when she was going as Warbird? Yeah, yeah, Warbird. Yeah, yeah, okay. But she had, like, kind of a tactile uh, vest on, right? Yeah. Because from what I remember, when she was, yeah, when she was Warbird, she had you know it was kind of her version of like cable or something where <laughs> she had a few pouches and it was very tactical and she had a tactical vest on and but she still had the mask it yep. was you know really meant to accentuate the war part of her war birdiness yeah <laughs> she's a character who's had a few different uh superhero code names but I gotta admit, I did have fondness for that Warbird era. Did you? Oh. I like that Olivier okay. Coipel Warbird a lot more than her classic Ms. Marvel costume, to be honest. You know, the one with the swimsuit. I'll take that over. Sash. I'll take that over the 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 Ms. Marvel outfit. The the yeah. The, there's no other way to describe it except as a swimsuit. Yeah, because it's, it's a, a swimsuit onesie. with the with the sash. Yeah. And on top of that, I think she's kind of got like knee high boots. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, they're like thigh high. They, they almost cover her butt cheeks, but they don't. You got to make sure that 
you can still see her butt cheeks <laughs> because it's yeah, comics, yeah. y'all. And that's what makes her the real Miss Marvel. That's the real Count Carol Danvers. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't get aroused by a picture of butt cheeks, then I'm not reading comics. <laughs> oh boy, do I have a stack of 90s comics for you. <laughs> Pepper ain't going to be the only one rolling around in comics, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you done i'm done i'm done (laughs) yeah but um yeah that's that's all i really had to say about the aesthetics did you have anything Mm, nothing really either i i thought overall it was pretty bland visually like there wasn't anything about it that made it stood out uh yeah i do agree that you know it looks better than quant man mania quantum (laughs) quantum mania whatever you called it i don't even know how you pronounced it (laughs) i forgot quant man mania (laughs) there you go yes i think it looks better than that i think there was a fun little shout out at the beginning of the movie when we had kamala's introduction you know that her whole little opening spiel harkened back to the visual aesthetic of her Disney Plus show. So I, I thought that was fun. Like, I wasn't a big fan of that show, but the that sort of animated uh, drawing style. To, yeah, that, that was a nice flourish. Yeah. Um, that was a part of her show where the storytelling was buttressed with these animated flourishes throughout you know, as a stand-in for her interior monologue or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of so, like uh, her her personal diary or sketchbook. You know, she's drawing yeah. like little doodles or images. I do think that was one flourish. of the best things about the show. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. So it was it was cool to see that in the movie. Uh, the costumes, I thought they were fine. Like all the designs, you know, it's. I feel like as long as they do something that's as similar to the Jamie McKelvey design as possible, like something as similar to that as possible, then they're in a good place, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to move on to the acting and the direction? Sure. Um, I don't, I'm not really, I'm going to tackle the thing that I have the least amount of knowledge in. Okay. okay. Um, so that way I can kind of discuss it and move past it quicker. But yeah, in terms of uh, the direct the direction of the film itself, I don't really have much to say there either. Um, I don't think there was anything too visually experimental or interesting that really jumped out at me. It was just say, kind of standard paint by numbers, right? Your typical yeah, MCU yeah. direction. Exactly, exactly. Like it told a story. It went. It had a flow. Um, you know, it wasn't, maybe if I had more of a background in directing, I could kind of pick and choose, um, more eloquently things to say about it, but I really don't have much to say there. Uh, I think the one piece of directing that did stand out to me was when they go to the planet and they 
they essentially make it this weird musical number right right um i can't say that that was a choice that i was huge on um i think there was a moment there and this is one of the missed opportunities where i felt like there are a couple of uh moments where they could have gone in certain directions if they had just been consistent throughout the whole movie but when they land on the planet it there for a brief second it kind of reminded me of a retro og original series star trek you know the one with william shatner yeah and when they land on the planet i was watching that and i was i was thinking to myself they had done an entire the entire movie in that with that sort of aesthetic that could have done the entire movie as a musical well i don't know about the musical part but they could have done it as this retro futurist sort of thing i would have been like okay that's that's kind of interesting yeah, that would have but, given it a unique style for an MCU flick for sure. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't. So, and they didn't even really like I wouldn't even say that they really like leaned into anything there when they got to the planet cuz yeah, cuz she comes out and she's wearing this like giant jellyfish thing and they're all singing to each other and it just reminds me of that old school Star Trek that's that's what reminded me of that old school Star Trek. It reminded me of, I don't have the specific episodes on hand, but there would be times where Kirk and his crew would go down to the planet and they'd meet these aliens that were essentially just humanoids, but they would have like pretty bizarre dress, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as bizarre as that jellyfish hat thing that she was wearing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just what made me think of that where I, I was watching that scene and I was like, oh, that's a that's kind of a quaint little touch. They could have, you know, if if there was more of that, maybe this would be more interesting to me. But mm-hmm. other than that, um, I, I I can't say that the musical scene in and of itself was something that I asked for or wanted. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the 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 biggest directing choice that I could think of that they made that just didn't really hit for me yeah yeah i don't know anything about the director's previous works nia da costa mm-hmm. but based on how much the marvels felt like pretty much any other typical mcu flick it didn't really feel like there was much of a hint of a directorial voice anyway which you know is mm-hmm. to be expected because even when we have seen marvel movies directed by people who are big names big names it doesn't really feel like their movie. Like maybe you see like little bits and pieces of the things that they like to do, but for the most part, it just feels like we're watching the Marvel machine at work, you know? There's a homogeneity right, right. to all the things that they do for their movies. And even even with their shows, I think we're starting to see that too. And it, it just kind of makes it hard to like parse out the individuality uh, of the work yeah it's a lot different than comics because like with the comics when you have a different artist drawing for the same you know like if you have a writer who's got a long run but you get a different artist for different stories that makes a pretty big difference especially if the artists are have different styles you know so it it makes a bigger impact there but for something like these movies it, it just feels like whatever artist or whatever director they get to to make them 
they're just going to look a certain way no matter what. Right, right. I I mean, the funny thing is, it's all part of their plan. I mean, I think, I think that's their logic, which is they, for for a time, they knew what worked, and they don't want to deviate too much from that because that's their formula, and so to whatever degree, and we've seen this in comics too, but to whatever degree they can make it seem different but still keep it exactly the same, they will mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. And, it just seems like that's bleeding into the movies as well, where it's the illusion of change, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's just a means of them cashing in on the security of the formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And as far as the structure goes, it was pretty standard in terms of how these movies typically go. You know, you have the the culmination of a big battle between uh, the heroes and a massive CG army, which is what we see when they're on the water planet. And then mm-hmm. after that big CG battle, it kind of narrows down a bit to a three-on-one battle between the Marvels and Darben. And then after that, you get one final CG blob fest with Monica closing that final rift in the other dimension. Yeah. But you know, it's it's all it all kind of just boils down to a bunch of special effects nonsense. There isn't really anything outstanding or or special about any of those scenes. Mm. I think yeah. another thing that stood out to me in terms of direction was the action choreography. I thought it was I didn't think it was very good action choreography, to be honest. Yeah. There was it that one seems like very basic punching. Yeah, there was that one long scene earlier on when they first discovered that they were switching places, and then they're in different locations, and the main the main battle is taking place in Kamala's family home in Jersey. And yeah, that one it was weird to me to see that they spent so much time fighting two goons like i didn't think there was something about those two soldiers they were fighting that made them like super tough or anything yeah (laughs) it was like an excuse to just wreck the house and i don't know yeah that wasn't i didn't think it was imagine if they had to fight an army of these guys (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. it was just a bunch of like fast cuts and uh, stuff like that where the flashiness of it is is kind of distracting you from actually like seeing a lot of the excitement i don't know it, mm. maybe for for other people it was fine but i i thought it was kind of boring yeah i was gonna say um oh shoot i forgot what i was gonna say never mind <laughs> <laughs> was it about uh, the fights and how long it took them to beat those two goons um because that no, was another I, thing I, that bugged me man the the way that the movie kind of inconsistently portrayed Carol Danvers' power levels, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah. Go ahead. I I remembered what I was gonna say. <laughs> Sorry. Hang on to that moment. thought. Yeah, because because yeah. with Carol's power levels, you think that someone as strong as her would be able to clean up those two goons in a second. Like in a heartbeat. Yeah. yeah. 
But it took everything yeah. she had. That was weird. Yeah. What what I was gonna say is, over the course of the movie, they keep calling her the Annihilator, you know, because she's yeah. supposedly the one that brought ruination to the Kree Empire, and yeah, it just doesn't really seem like a very Annihilator thing to do when you know two guys can kind of keep you busy. Imagine <laughs> if there were four of them. <laughs> she would have died. Yeah, seriously. So there's that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and I'm with you on the musical element, the musical sequence when they were on the water planet. What's it called? Aladna? Aladna? Yeah. Like, it definitely stood out just for being different. I would say I even respect the effort and appreciate that they were trying to do something kind of odd, something kind of alien or maybe goofy. But I didn't particularly like it either. I mean, you know me, I'm not really into musicals to begin with musicals as a as a genre like that's never been something that i was ever really into and i think it's more of a novelty to me so having it in this movie it was different they were trying to do something strange and you know that's fine but as far as actually liking it i didn't actually like it very much and uh wasn't i wasn't into the music or even the lyrics it was kind of like i don't know there was just something about it where it just felt like yeah it was basic dialogue didn't it didn't have like the cleverness that you kind of expect from a musical kind of just felt like they were um conveying like whatever dialogue was in the script they were just just put into music <laughs> in a sing-song voice yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah on the spectrum of being indifferent to disliking it i'm probably closer to disliking it yeah yeah well i mean once we get past that i can go over the acting a little bit i probably have more to say about that um okay yeah i want to hear what you have to say about the acting you watch a lot more and, movies and stuff than I do, so I, I think you probably <laughs> have better thoughts on that because I didn't really have too many thoughts about the acting. Well, I didn't even... Okay, now now you've just set me up because now that I think about it, I might not have that much to say. You use a cinephile, Albert. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I will say that I do enjoy the three of them together. Um, this idea, the basic premise of the movie or one of the basic premises of the movie being that we're going to take these three characters that are kind of tied together and find a way to uh, premiere them as this unit, as as the Marvels. And it's going to require them three strangers essentially like being together acting together right so i do think that i'm on board with the basic idea of that even even once i got to the end of the movie and they kind of played the idea of oh we're a team the marvels like if they had turned that into a comic using the three of them i i'd be down for that i think i could see that being something i was kind of i i'd be into 
What about the um, A Force? Uh, that's, I mean, that's not a uh, a completely Marvel centric thing. That's the A Force, right? So if it's gonna be a thing about, it's, Wait, it it wouldn't be wasn't quite. Wasn't there a Marvel comic featuring female heroes called A Force, or was that A Team? Yeah, I forget. It's A Force, but okay. I'm saying that the thing about this that hits home for me is the fact that they're all part of the Marvel family, but they're not called the Marvel family, right? Because so, that's a DC thing, right? Captain Marvel and, yeah. and the Marvel family. Well, it, it feels like it's been in fashion uh, for the past few years now to give everyone like this huge supporting cast. So you have the Spider family, the Flash family, the Bat family. You know, everybody's got like, I kind of miss the days of, um, you know, just your lone hero doing their own thing without necessarily a supporting cast granted that might be a little harder to write but um i don't necessarily feel like everyone needs that but the idea of giving captain marvel her own captain marvel family with people that in the comics all have held the same you know some connection to the captain marvel title and having them be on this team together called the Marvels, like in concept, that was something that I could jump on board with. Mm -hmm. And if like that alone was kind of entertaining to me, I was like, okay, that's something I can work with. Right. And the thing about a force is the a force is really just about a team of women, which, you know, which is fine, whatever. But this was, this was Marvel's specific, you know, and and I don't think we'd ever seen that before in the past because Captain Marvel and Monica Rambeau do have a history together because I think Captain uh, uh, Monica Rambeau was Captain Marvel for a period. She was the first female Captain Marvel, I believe, right? Yeah, she used that title as her code name for a yeah. while when she first appeared. But she's also somebody in the comics. I feel like she's lacked an identity for so long because... Yeah. So many times over the decades, she's gotten a new name, a new costume. I, I feel like that's why... They just put her I, wherever. <laughs> yeah. When I think of Monica Rambeau in the comics, the first thing I think of is still either... The first thing I think of is probably the Next Wave comic. And then after that, if I'm just trying to think of like what she looks like, it would probably be her original costume from the 80s when she's got that weird-looking yeah. onesie with the wingtips connected the to wings. her wrists. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that's what I think of when I think of her. But then over the decades, she's gotten all these other code names and costumes that that don't last very long and don't leave much of an impression on me. Like if I see them, if I see her in that costume, I'll recognize her. But that's not the thing that I can, you know, mentally summon up the image on command. Like if you tell me what does Pulsar's costume look like, or what does she look like when she was Photon? Or Spectrum. I don't know. I got Google image search that. I feel like they all just looked like her as Captain Marvel. Because I feel, from what I remember, they all just kind of were some version of that same outfit. But I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, they're all these variations, right? But you'll recognize it when you see it. But can you can you call to your mind right now what that costume looks like? If I tell you, If I ask you to tell me what Photon looks like. 
No, <laughs> I really yeah. didn't. See, that's what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but anyways, my point was that, you know, she was kind of the first Captain Marvel, and then you had Carol Danvers being Miss Marvel, and, you know, she definitely has her tie uh, to her connection to Captain Marvel in the comics, you know, Marvel. Yeah. And then there's Miss Marvel Kamala Khan, who, you know, whose connection is that she's just someone who idolized Miss Marvel slash Captain Marvel. And the idea of like putting them together and trying to find a way to make it fit so that they could be their own little Marvel's family. I, yeah, I, I think that was an idea that could have worked. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that I was going to say, and this is probably my favorite part of the movie, and I'm going to preface it before I talk about it, because again, if, there's something about this movie. If if a person is looking for something to hate about this movie, there are definitely things that you can point out. I'm, I'm going to keep repeating that. But, and this is something that in this movie did appeal to me. And I'm going to fully and transparently admit that it's probably not something that appeals to everyone. but um the first scene where they're all like getting together where the three of them are together and they're and you're watching them kind of grow as a unit and they're hanging out like there was something charming about that and that's the sort of there's almost a slice of life element to it that i can appreciate i could have used a and lot more of I that was, yeah exactly and the, like i was watching that scene and th this is something that I maybe I can point to as a kind of funny, kind of clever directorial choice on that part. But that scene was essentially a slumber party because at one point they're yeah. all in their like PJs just hanging out and like practicing with their powers. And yeah, maybe it's a really small thing, but that that made me chuckle. Just this idea of like ah, superhero pajama party and it's just them being friends with each other. What's wrong with that? You know? Yeah, I could definitely have used more of that. That's the kind of superhero content I eat up. Dang, I shouldn't call it content. That's yeah. that's got some such bad connotations. But that that's the kind of superhero <laughs> fun stuff that I enjoy. You know, like just the slice of life, yeah. them chilling out and and having fun. The kind of thing where you're just spending time hanging out with the characters. Exactly. Like if they if they exactly. extended that scene instead of turning it into a montage. I probably would have had a little a little bit more enjoyment from that, you know? Like, as it is, there was yeah. a fun sequence within the movie, but, yeah, if they had spent more time showing us how their relationships uh, kind of evolved during the course of their adventure, I think there could have been a little bit more meat to it you know because it, it just feels like absolutely they throw us this montage and because of because of that because of one slumber party um we're supposed to expect them to be able to function as a team even though it seems like swapping places with each other in the middle of a fight should be pretty complicated but apparently mm -hmm. you know just that one night of practice was enough to help them really master it yeah yeah like Here's here's a thought that I just had. 
instead of telling a story where they have to stop this villain, which is pretty typical, it could have been a story about them dealing with this power and going on this long journey, protracted journey together to like sort themselves out, right? If it and, had, yeah, if it had been a story about them trying to untangle themselves, that would have been fine. Like that would have been enough yeah. of a driving force for the story, you know? Like you don't, they didn't yeah. need to have the added stakes of fighting the Kree who are out for revenge because of what Captain Marvel did in the first movie. It could have just mm-hmm. been a story where the conflict was their lives were literally entangled every time they use their powers. Because you could just imagine how inconvenient that would be if you're trying to just live your daily yeah. life and you're a superhero and you're trying to live your daily life, but you keep swapping places with two other people yeah. randomly. So, of course, you're going to try and figure out a way to solve that problem. And they could have gone on an adventure solely to figure exactly. that out. And that would have been plenty. And, and we would have been able to see them talking and, and have bonding time and things like yeah. that. And yeah, exactly, exactly. And the thing about that is I fully concede that that would not have been a movie for everyone. I'm pretty sure the people that hate this version of the movie already would have hated that as much, if not even more, because it, it just would have been like have Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants or something with superheroes. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, it wouldn't have spoken to their sensibilities. But I think... That would have been a far more interesting movie, personally. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the idea of them going on this journey and learning about each other and talking and growing as people. That that's far more interesting to me. And Definitely. unfortunately, this this movie, like I don't know if I, I imagine everybody had some hand in the ultimate uh decision to just have them fight this villain and have it be about uh, a resource stealing you know dimension portal opening mad woman <laughs> named Darben who who's just trying to yeah um, get revenge and bring resources back to her people or whatever and I it just makes it kind of fall flat mm-hmm. yeah yeah but I could very easily imagine that version of the movie that me and you just came up with right here, um, like not sitting well with the Snyder crowd or with the, you know, with the, with the, uh, uh, the Gators, you know, the kind of the Gators or the kind of comics people who, who'd be like, they didn't even punch anything. They didn't fight anyone. <laughs> they just sat there and talked for about minutes. <laughs> I, I just had to use the most illiterate voice that I could use. <laughs> yeah. So so I do think that the potential for the three of them, like just being around each other and just being people that I can, whose company that I can enjoy. Um, I found that believable. I found that workable. And that was something that, in terms of acting was uh was what what sold it for me right yeah um, i felt like the three main actors had yeah like it felt like they had fun working with each other and it seemed to come they across had chemistry yeah. yeah yeah they had chemistry exactly yeah um 
I think the parents, Kamala Khan's parents, I didn't really like them in the show because I just felt like they were kind of overacting. They were kind of corny. Um, you know, maybe the the maybe the cue was for like the mom to be kind of stern and the dad to be kind of a bumbling oaf and <laughs> the brother to be like, you know, someone who's trying to be too cool. Um, and so if that was what they were trying to, to, to aim for, that's what they achieved. But I can't say that I personally thought that that was an enjoyable acting experience in the, the Miss Marvel show. But I do think in the movie, they toned it down a little. Maybe it was just that I didn't see them quite as much. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I thought Darben was was fine. You know, I like for for a character that I didn't have too much love or knowledge of to begin with. Um, she seemed like a an appropriate villain, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to go dig out my copy of the silver surfer issue where darben first appears because it's been a long time since i read it but from what i remember darben in the comics well first of all the comic book version of darben was a man but he was a cree i think a scientist or a general or something who built a robot version of the silver surfer and that issue was about this robot silver surfer going nuts and killing his enemies um and like up up until the near the end of the story is when you realize that it wasn't the actual surfer it was a robot uh but i, I don't really remember too much which is always a about good it. plot <laughs> it, it's pretty I, th- I thought that was one of the dumber silver surfer issues that uh ron mars wrote like he's not yeah someone yeah. i i think super highly of as a writer i mean he's he's written some fun stuff and i definitely loved silver surfer when i was a kid uh, I mean, I think the Jim Starlin stuff holds up a lot better, but uh, I, I do have a bunch of surfer comics and yeah, I'd have to revisit that one just to, just to see, cause there's something amusing about it, but I feel like with the movie, they just took the name of a, of an obscure character and then swapped mm-hmm, the gender mm-hmm. and then, you know, that was pretty much a brand new character. Just someone has the name. Yeah. 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 And I will say watching this movie, it just did just bring to me, like confirm to me that I don't think I ever had very much love for the Kree as villains at all. Um, Mm -hmm. I know they're kind of big in the Marvel universe, but they're just, they just don't really do anything for me. I I think I like Ronan the Accuser, but that's about it. Like, I'm like, he had that cool hammer thing, but. Uh, what about Marvel? Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess I got love for him. Um, you know, he's Captain Marvel, right? The death of uh, Captain Marvel was one of the best '80s Marvel comics, I think. So he's got that going yeah, for him. Jim Starlin. Yeah. 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 But so, as far as there we go. Marvel alien races, the Kree are near the bottom of your power ranking in terms of enjoyment or appreciation. Um. Yeah, I, I I think so. I don't. Think oh, I all right, all right. How about this, Albert? Love, How about this? All right. What you got? Give me your ranking of these Marvel alien races. <laughs> we got the Kree, the Skrulls, mm-hmm. the Brood, okay. the Shi'ar, okay. the Badoon, okay. the Phalanx, 
the Zandarians, and the Symbiotes. Oh shoot. Okay. Um Oh, uh, I think from top to bottom, I'd probably have to go with Brood, Phalanx. Phalanx, oh, maybe the, okay. Yeah, yeah. I like that techno-organic look that they used to make for Warlock. I thought that was cool. Pretty cool look. Okay, okay. I don't know even know if they all look like that, but whatever. Um, Didn't you read the Phalanx Covenant see. when you were a kid? I thought you liked that comic because it had an interesting title. <laughs> I just like the name. I can't say that I remember anything about it. Um, let's see. Who else we got? We got, I'd probably say the Shi'ar after them. And then... Uh, Scrolls? The Shi'ar, then the Zandarian. Oh, yeah. the uh, Yeah, i go with the Scrolls over the Zandarians. And then I would go with the Kree. Then... The symbiotes and then the Badoon. Whoa, you got the symbiotes higher than the Badoon? I thought the symbiotes would be last. Yeah. I don't You're full of surprises. I don't think Albert. I really have too I don't think I really have any feelings for the Badoon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know nothing about them, so <laughs> But the symbiotes gave us venom, so that counts as a win for them, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I mean and by proxy from Venom, we get Null. So symbiotes are the best thing on Earth. Ugh. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't that terrific? Horrible. Uh, yeah, yeah. But anyways. What about... I think that's all I got for about, acting. What uh, about Nick Fury, man? Samuel L. Jackson. How'd he well, do? Samuel L. Samuel L. He's he's always gonna, you know, he's fun to see. It's so always fun I watching him. him I, I got no issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about the the Asian dude who was the king of the water planet? Was do you know was he an actor in a popular Korean drama or something, or is he like famous in that market? I wonder if that's why. I have they, no idea uh, who he is. Him. I got, I seriously got no clue who he was. Okay. So and I can't say that his appearance did much of anything for me. Um, I mean, he's Asian, so go us. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. Hey, Captain Marvel married that. an Asian if man. That's... Captain Marvel yeah. married an Asian man, dude. I'll take that as a win. Yeah. Yeah. If I got nothing else, if that's all I can take away from it, then <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Somewhere out there in the galaxy, there's a planet ruled by a single Asian man. Not yeah. not that he's single, but you know, he's a singular entity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. I well, I there is one thing that I guess I would go back to for directing, but there's that scene where they were finding the eggs all over the place. Yeah. And. It turns out that the eggs were all part of the the cat. The cat was just laying a bunch of eggs and giving birth to these other weird cat creatures. Flurkin, right? Yeah, yeah, Flurkin. Oh, there's another alien species. There we go. That's I got, true. Yeah. There, I got love for that. But um, yeah. The at, at first when I saw those eggs, I was there was a part of me that was wondering if they were gonna do like the brood for a tag or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. 
oh, we're kind of in that phase. So would it be so surprising if these eggs turned out to be brewed? Uh, um, it wasn't. They weren't. Uh, the other thing I thought was in that early scene when they're on the spaceship, the Captain Marvel's cat, I forget the cat's name, but Goose. the Flarkin, Goose, she opens up her mouth and these tentacles come out and she eats these two guards, right? And then yeah. when she gets teleported back, she spits these two guards up. And those are the same two guards that are just giving Captain Marvel like the worst trouble of her life. Yeah, <laughs> they were and... tougher than Thanos. Yeah, yeah. It reminds well, the weird me of the thing time, about that is it reminds me of the time when we were playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance and I think we were using like Silver Surfer and Thor and uh Ghost Rider Ghost Rider and Hulk and the bosses yeah. we were fighting were just killing us over and over man Scorpion and the Lizard yeah. or was it Vulture I forget <laughs> But no, anyway Scorpion and Lizard sounds right Yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, that's what those two guys but, are, man. Those guys were messing up Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was. I, I at first I couldn't wrap my head around it, but when the cat ate those two guards, at first I was like, "Oh, wow, that was kind of bleak." But then it it proceeded to like regurgitate them out, and there was a part of me that was like, "Why couldn't the cat just eat them?" Like would that have been so bad? But then you get to the end and you realize that the it's it's the uh, it's the it's the clue to the resolution that they have for mm-hmm. evacuating the space station because the cats are like tesseracts apparently and they can swallow everyone up and all they have to do is take the cats, which was really weird. That was a really weird. Um, decision but okay sure <laughs> i think they didn't they wasn't that kind of explained or hinted at in the first movie too though because that was when we learned that goose or the flurkin species they look like cats but they contain pocket dimensions inside themselves so like whenever they swallow something uh they they can basically act like a luggage carrier so wasn't that where mm-hmm. one of the Infinity Gems was? The whole time during that oh, first I don't movie? even remember I, that. I kind of forgot, too. It's been a while since I watched it. Yeah. I mean, when I saw the cat, like, turn into a tentacle monster and eat these people, I just thought, oh, wow, that went to a dark place. <laughs> then it proceeded to, like, spit them out. And that was the the clue to how they would solve all their problems later when they needed to evacuate the space station. There was something about that whole evacuation sequence that kind of reminded me of a funny 80s movie, just because it was these adults just frantically chasing down these cats and then trying to point these cats at other people to make them swallow them. I don't know. There's yeah, just something yeah. cartoonish and and it's it's like supposed to be a serious situation because their space station is going down and they're all going to die if they can't escape. But mm-hmm. it just turned into this lighthearted affair because they're chasing these cats and then making these cute little kittens swallow other people in yeah. into yeah. their mouths. Just turning it into a, a bit, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I thought mm-hmm. uh, that kept on going in, on in the back of my mind one while they were... Uh, 
returning to Earth is they, they shoved all these little kittens into the escape pods. But I just started wondering, well, they're just kittens, right? They've only been born pretty recently. So, like, who's to say that they won't just spit out all the people they swallowed while they're all in that tiny little escape yeah. pod before they land, you know? Like, yeah. that would have been a pretty bad way to die. Like, everybody just comes out at There's the same just... time. Yeah. There's just a lot of unanswered questions that we just have to take on faith. <laughs> yeah, but they were the people who were enacting that play, Fury and the rest, they were pretty confident that the cats would not spit them out at at a bad time. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. If I was on that space station, I would have questioned it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have anything else to say about the direction or the acting? Not really. Not really. We can talk about the story finally. Get around sure. to Let's... discussing all the little bits of the movie that I guess from what I was from what I gathered, I feel like there were definitely things in the movie that we could nitpick if we really wanted to like tear it apart, but it also feels like mm-hmm. there wasn't necessarily so much stuff that makes it really worth nitpicking to that degree. Am I right? Yeah. Like I've seen, I've seen way dumber movies than this. If I had to be honest, maybe, maybe you could say it's boring, but um, like, you know, I don't I don't ever like doing that thing where um when you try to write a critique about something the 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 tactic that you use for deflection is to um you know, name check something else, but it's kind of hard for me not to do that under these uh circumstances because you know, there's there's a lot of energy being thrown around about how especially now in the media and like you hear it on the news, but this movie did very poorly in the box office and how a lot of people will say that, Oh, this is an indicator that we, you know, that certain policies at Marvel are leading them to ruin. And this is just another sign of the decay of their brand or whatever. Right. You you trying to say and, that somebody out there is saying that they've gone woke, so they have gone broke? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's say that, okay? But but the thing is, um, I've seen other movies uh, on the DC end, and I can honestly say that I would rather sit through this Captain Marvel than the flash or uh black, black adam. adam yeah i i like i would wait it was far easier for me to sit through captain marvel than it was for me to sit through black adam yeah like i and anyone that tries to say that this was you know the box office proves that this is a a bad movie or the worst movie ever made 
Like that, I don't think that's a fair. Like it's definitely a a bad faith argument for why this movie is good or bad, and it's the yeah. dumbest way to calculate why a movie is good or bad. It's it's certainly not the box office because there are a lot of good things that don't make a lot of money. So if your argument for it is, you know, only good things make money, there's a lot of trash that makes money. Nickelback exists, okay? Yeah. So Creed <laughs> exists, okay? Uh, there was a point in time where All-Star was, uh, Smash Mouth by All-Star was the number one song. Like, there's nothing special about making money. Good for you. Uh, you found a way to uh, entertain idiots. Um, preach, my brother, but- preach. But my point being, like, this movie, it's not perfect. It's pretty bland. It's pretty, you know, as the kids say, mid. But I'm not going to – I don't think it's – again, I don't think it's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's not something that was a pain to sit through. Uh, I have seen – believe me, I have seen movies where I've sat through it and I just felt just actively – insulted by what i was watching so Mm -hmm. there we go um here's a question how did i get on this topic where am i how did (laughs) i get here is this the bus station (laughs) is this the supermarket (laughs) is this where i pick up my mail (laughs) Uh, but anyways yeah, let's go into the plot and characters. What were you going to ask me? I was going to ask if you think that this movie has any kind of feminist slant or message that that would, I, I guess, not justify, but I guess, you know how people, there are people who are upset because this is a movie that they think shows that Marvel is pushing an agenda or something like that. It's, it's like propagandistic. Exactly, exactly. All all of those disingenuous yeah. types of arguments that are in bad faith. Mm-hmm. But I I do wonder if we were to like look at this movie and try to examine it from a feminist reading, like is there anything in the in the text or in the subtext that like screams out feminist thing. stuff or yeah. messaging that's the thing i think if your interpretation of something being feminist is purely limited to the fact that all the primary characters uh in the story are women if that's the only thing that makes it feminist then yeah i, I guess that counts but it's a very like limited view of the world it's a very like limited understanding of feminism it's a very limited understanding of like anything really i'm not i question your ability to understand things <laughs> right right because because i don't think there was anything in here that was explicitly girls are better than men or like you know we can do anything it, it was on the face of it it just felt like it was a story about women uh you know going on this adventure and I don't think that that in it of itself is inherently feminist other than that it is just a story about women, you know? But I'm pretty sure 
over the course of history, there are a lot of stories about women that might not necessarily be considered where where the crux of their messaging is strictly centered around the idea of the empowerment of women, right? And I right. don't think that just the story being purely about women characters in and of itself is necessary. Maybe you could make the argument that in and of itself it is empowering because that's the cast, but I don't think I don't think that's the same as propaganda. I don't think that's the same as, you know, someone going outright and telling you over and over again in a ham-fisted um, effort of messaging to constantly remind you, yeah, these women, they're so doing it for themselves. There wasn't anything about that that made me think, like, if anything, if you had done the same movie with three guys and uh, Darben as a man, um, it probably would have had the same effect. Maybe subconsciously you could tell yourself it's a movie about men. Men can do it for themselves. Brothers, <laughs> rise up. Yeah, yeah. That, that is hate, true. I hate I hate that we live in an age where we have to like parcel these things out. Granted, it's it gives us something to talk about on, on the podcast, but like I just I hate people so much. <laughs> I, I hate people so much. I'm 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 gonna after this podcast, I'm gonna go out into the driveway outside this building and i'm just gonna i'm gonna take a bite out of a brick that's how angry people make me <laughs> um okay do you think anyways, that you were saying <laughs> do you think your reading of the movie would have been any different if they kept the same protagonist but they turned darben into a man only darben yeah um I think in the back of my mind, there's a part of me that looks at that and in imagining that version of the movie, I can say to myself, oh, maybe it's slightly more feminist because you can point to that as an example of, oh, of course, the women have to beat up the evil man again. <laughs> How typical. How 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 feminist how how droll or whatever, but again, I don't think that's necessarily a good faith argument. I never really think that's a good faith argument because it's it's probably the weakest and the most superficial like form of feminism that you can make is like see women and beating up men. See women, <laughs> they good, they're great. <laughs> well when you put it that way i don't think it, it sounds pretty entertaining in uh like in a comedic way yeah i mean sure if they had gone that route and they had decided to make it just over the top and kind of uh <laughs> uh tongue-in-cheek yeah i could i could i could get on board with that <laughs> yeah but actually that would have yeah. been that would have given us a lot more to talk about i think yeah yeah but yeah, I don't think if they are trying to be feminist uh, in in what they're putting out here, I, I might even go far as far as to say that if there's a chance that that first movie got a lot of um, criticisms from people for being too feminist, I, I 
I, I could imagine this being the response to that in that they kind of softened the edges of it just enough so that, you know, maybe on some paltry level, they can kind of appeal to those people by saying, see, the, the three women, they're not fighting a man, they're fighting another woman. How bad is that, right? So right, right. it's not that feminist or... You know, just really trying to uh, soften the edges of that while they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too, while they can also say, yeah, it's feminist. Uh, it's a movie where the primary cast is all women. Like, see? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's hard to see. I don't know how studio execs think. <laughs> they're kind of dumb. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it kind of just makes it feel like there really isn't any deeper message or subtext to it it's probably just the characters that they wanted to connect together because they've got the the name the marvel right. name so yeah. like that's yeah. that's really the main thing that's holding them together it's not yeah not necessarily just because carol kamala and monica are all women it's purely because they've got powers that are connected with the entanglement thing and because and they have a history their history is that they all have the same name the marvel name or yeah. at least yeah you know that's the the comic book connection yeah and i want to say like i was saying earlier that i think the fact that they all have the marvel's name and tying them together into this unit the marvels was something that makes sense to me but the one area where I question it is the entire plot um, point where they all have this quantum entanglement that allows them to like switch places with each other. I'm still not entirely clear how that happened. And I'm not really entirely sure how their powers are connected. They try to explain it by saying, well, they all have light-based powers, but that's not really a thing that like connects them, connects them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very strange because I could understand the quantum bands being connected to each other. That makes sense, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That makes the most sense. But there's no explanation for why the three of them specifically are bound to each other. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, because in the beginning of the movie, Darban finds the other quantum band. So Kamala already has one, and then Darban finds yeah. one on some... I don't know, asteroid or something, right? Or some kind of moon. She finds one, yeah. finds the other band. And it makes sense that that band would be connected to Kamala's band. But instead, what we have is that there's some kind of anomaly that's caused by the energy when she, when Darben touches the band or uses it. And it messes up those jump points that are set across uh, space. And it turns this... Uh, I guess there's some kind of like energy fluctuation or something. And that happens right when Monica is touching or investigating something in space. Like that scene when she's in her spacesuit leaving the station, she's investigating something. And then that, that catches her up in the fluctuation of the energy. So I guess that's why Monica gets entangled. But I, I don't really remember why Carol was part of that either yeah yeah like i again i i think if there was a more concrete explanation for why they're tied together 
so that they can truly be like the Marvel's family. I would have been fine with that, you know? Um, but it's just the explanation that they provided is, is kind of tenuous. It's kind of got not the best um, sci-fi logic, not the most like clearly defined sci-fi logic. And yeah, the whole entanglement, go, the whole entanglement thing I thought was portrayed in an inconsistent way because mm-hmm. number one, how come it's only Carol, Kamala, and Monica who are entangled with each other? How come Darben wasn't entangled as well because she had one of the other quantum bands? Yeah, and you would think yeah. that the bands would respond to each other. And then mm-hmm. the other thing is that the movie didn't seem to consistently portray the body swapping element because from what I understand, whenever one of the three uses her powers, that's the supposed that's supposed to be the thing that triggers the entanglement and, and causes the swap. Um or it's either I think they might have even said when when at least two of them use their powers at the same time. But then there are times in the movie when we see at least two of them using their powers at the same time and they don't switch places and it just happens to be convenient for the fight that they're in. Like I, I think about, yeah. um, yeah, like just those group battles when, when they're fighting on the water planet there, everybody's using their powers a bunch and um, maybe you could say, make the argument that, Oh, flying doesn't really trigger it. But then, on some level, isn't Captain Marvel's flying powered by her energy? So, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. just really con- confusing. Like it, it's it seems to just operate when it's convenient for what they want to show in their fight choreography, but it's not really consistent in terms of logic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of plot, I can't say that that was something that. Again, I was down for the idea, but in terms of execution, it just missed the mark for me because I just, I just didn't feel satisfied with the explanation that they gave. Yeah. Yeah. What about um, the plot with Darben and her quest for revenge to restore Hala because Captain Marvel basically condemned the planet? in the previous movie. Um yeah, so the thing about that is I thought that was a far simpler plot than the previous movie. Uh like it's pretty straightforward, it's easy to understand. So I was like fine with it. It's like okay, uh Carol Danvers and I don't even remember that was that from the first movie where she goes and she destroys the supreme intelligence? Yeah, I think that was at the end of that one. The supreme intelligence she there was that scene towards the end where she was communicating with the supreme intelligence but it didn't look Mm -hmm. like how it looked in the comics where it was you know in the comics it's a gigantic green giant blob head head yeah like a blob head floating in a vat of liquid but in the in the movie it was like this i think it was like an ai or computer consciousness or something and then Mm -hmm. and then when she communicated with it she basically saw um the MCU version of Marvel talking to her and it was it was a woman who was like a scientist or something yeah 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 i mean it's been a while since i've seen it so i don't really remember it super duper well 
but um yeah that entire plot point about the you know stealing resources from other planets to help replenish the resources they've squandered on their own planets i was like fine with that i was like okay that's you know straightforward easy to understand i don't have any real problems with that plot um but scientifically is it is it actually possible um even with the powers of super science and you know marvel science could they literally just transport or teleport an atmosphere from one planet to another like how does that work um giant vacuum cleaners okay got it thanks you cleared that up for me (laughs) what are you not getting man (laughs) i don't know it just seems kind of do i have to spell everything out for you (laughs) it seems kind of silly man that's all i'm saying Uh, they came to a planet and stole its air what (laughs) (laughs) and then they went to another planet and stole all its water I mean, water is a little easier to understand. It's like, okay, I get it. You can, if you open a portal where the water is and it creates a thing where all the water goes through that portal and it lands wherever the portal opens up. Okay, sure. Fine. Um, Maybe how they portray it, where it's a portal in the sky that sucks the water out. Like that might need a little more explanation, but you know. Uh, water makes more sense to me than atmosphere. I don't know if I could really explain away uh, yeah. sucking out atmosphere or or even the idea of like sucking, you know, transporting a sun from uh, that. Like that's incredibly powerful. If you transport a sun from one location to another, that's uh, that's pretty wild. Well, was, was that what they were? Was that what the Kree were planning to do to transport a sun? They were going to steal Earth's sun. I thought that was, that was the last thing okay. they were d- okay. doing. Yeah. Yeah that, yeah. that really doesn't make too much sense. I mean, at, at this point, it's a genie in a bottle. So it's right. like, if, if you told me that they can do it, then it's it's got to be that level of power where it's it's just wish granting at that point. Yeah, it's magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, that being said, like, you know, at at the very core of it, the idea is they're stealing natural resources from planets to replenish the, the natural resources that they themselves have destroyed on their own planet. Okay, fine, whatever. Well, right? te- technically, they believe that Captain Marvel destroyed those resources and in a way she did when she destroyed the supreme intelligence. Well, but they were saying that when they destroyed the supreme intelligence, oh, it that was caused when they, the civil war. Yeah, that's true, that's true. They did that to themselves. They, Screw them. Yeah, it caused it caused a civil war and they squandered all their resources in the pursuit of war. You're right. So, yeah. Yeah, I often am. Um anyways, I believe you. anyways uh i don't know were there any i don't know if this is really a plot point but i guess i guess this ties into the plot and the characters to some degree as something that i observed Mm -hmm. uh and with kamala and her family it really does feel like 
it's different than every teen superhero we've seen up to this point because her family really feels like they're really involved in her superheroics to some degree like when they all go to the moon her parents and her brother go to the moon with nick fury yeah i mean i question that but again for the sake of the movie like i'm just gonna have to like accept it and We've talked about how Kamala is kind of this stand-in for the modern teen superhero, how every generation has a teenage superhero for mm-hmm. their era, and how like Spider-Man spoke to the teens of that era, and then following that, you know, we had like what static and uh invincible and we have uh miles, miles morales, morales spider-man you totally um, skipped the 70s and 80s my man well stood who did we have in the 70s and 80s that's that's the thing i'm, I'm <laughs> i don't think you really had them, too much because but... it just kind of feels like yeah the 70s was spider-man's era still and, and then the 80s i guess yeah it was like the team books right like teen titans or teen titans x-men and new mutants and stuff like yeah. that yeah yeah so it feels like for the current era, Kamala Khan is is that, or maybe not even the current, because she's been around for a while. But, um, and I think the thing that makes her a little different from the other teen books is, at least the way that it was portrayed in this movie, like it really does feel like she really has her family really plays a big part in her, like, activities. Like, I don't think Aunt May ever went out and, <laughs> you know, went on. Well, well, that's not true. I'm sure there were a couple of stories where she ended up on a shield helicarrier or something. But um, <laughs> hey, remember that? You know, time it took years became, for her to get to that. Remember the time she became Galactus's Herald? Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. Golden oldie, man. <laughs> Golden oldie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if they're going to keep doing this if if we keep seeing Kamala Khan if if her family is really going to play like a bigger role for her. If they keep participating um, in her adventures, it feels like a really good way for them to die early. Yeah. Yeah. But that being said, I like up to this point I can't say that I I've seen that level of um interaction from family members in these teen stories it kind of reminds me of the ms marvel run that we read from saladin ahmed because in that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that first arc he did she went to that other planet and her family did tag along with her they went on the adventure with her and basically got to see her in action and like in a way it, it did bring them closer and help her family, her parents understand yeah. the, the burden it, and responsibility of it all. Yeah. And that's the thing that does interest me or, you know, slightly about uh, about her that kind of, if, if you're going to take all these teen heroes that are supposed to be representative of each generation or that's supposed to speak to each generation, um, inevitably there's going to be something that you have to put in there that sort of makes it 
a signature for that generation's like values and um outlook on the world right Mm -hmm. so you had spider-man and how was he different from the teen titans and how is how are they different from static and what's the what's the cultural change that we inject into it that makes Mm -hmm. it relevant and different for the current age and for her for kamala khan it definitely is the fact that she is a young pakistani muslim woman but on top of that there's also the idea that her family plays at least in my interpretation of it it feels like her family plays this way larger role in what she does you know maybe you could say that in invincible there was some of that but in invincible his dad was a superhero too so i don't know yeah yeah um yeah it's just it's definitely one of those it's different because with kamala her family knows her identity and that's part of that's just kind of baked into the concept that's kind of, of the hook for her yeah, yeah yeah exactly it's it's what makes it what makes her story different from a lot of the other teen superhero comics of the past because Mm-hmm. A lot of those would have the teen hero hiding his identity from his parents, or exactly. you know, maybe he had maybe he's an orphan or something. But yeah, but yeah. basically, he like had decades of that. Yeah, like so many decades when Peter Parker did not tell Aunt May that he was Spider-Man. You know, like it was yeah. part of the whole part of the tension that was just baked into the concept of Spider-Man is that he's he's doing all these mm-hmm. things as Spider-Man, but if he's busy fighting Dr. Octopus or somebody, is he going to be able to go to the pharmacy in time and get Aunt May her medicine before she, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. gets a stroke or something? It's it's stuff like yeah, that, yeah. which adds to the complication. That was the source of the drama. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, you know, with Spider-Man, oh, Aunt May reads the Daily Bugle, so she believes that Spider-Man is a menace, but little does she know, yeah. it's her own nephew yeah 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 and that's something that we've seen in superheroes like it like you were like you were saying for decades so every generation and iteration of the teenage superhero that we get for the next generation it they felt it felt like they were continuing to do that so like robin the the in the 90s when we had the tim drake robin series for example mm-hmm. uh, i'm pretty sure a large chunk of that was dedicated to well, what does it look like for a teenager in the 90s to do what Spider-Man was doing, but today, right? So yeah, exactly, Tim Drake exactly. goes through all that too, where his dynamic is he has this surrogate father in Bruce Wayne who who knows his secret and teaches him to do everything that he does, but he also at the same time has to go to school and has to maintain relationships. And that sometimes means that you know, these relationships suffer because he's committed to Batman. How does he deal with that? Um, his relationship with his father suffers because, you know, what happens... He keeps his identity secret. Hide. Yeah, exactly. And and we see that over and over again. So it just really feels like with Kamala, that's the thing that's different here. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe you could say in this in the the... The Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, he's he's pretty close with uh, 
Aunt May, uh, Marissa Tomei. Aunt Marissa Tomei. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) But, um, like, except for that third movie, she didn't ever really go on adventures with him, you know? And when she did, she died. Um, Yeah, and when she did, she died. Exactly. (laughs) Why are we laughing? See, kids, that's why you should always leave your parents at home. <laughs> don't take oh, you don't take grandma to the club because trouble's gonna be brewing there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Won't be none. Don't want none. Won't be none. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting to see if um, in future versions uh, or in future stories where they use Kamala Khan, if her family continues to be as prominently displayed. Here's another thought about Kamala Khan in the MCU though. Cause I was thinking about this, especially uh, in light of the, that one of the ending scenes when we see Kamala track down Kate Bishop, Hawkeye and, and try to, you know, it seems like she's trying to recruit her own young Avengers. They're, they're Mm -hmm. definitely teasing that. But when you think about, how things work in the comics versus how they work in movies. The nature of the Hollywood machine, which uses live action actors means that Kamala's going to change because the actress is going to grow up, you know, she's going to get older yeah. before they can make too many teenage stories. And I think a big part of the charm of Kamala is that she's a teenager, a teenage superhero and I'm not saying that they're not going to be able to do anything good with the character in the MCU, but it's just the practicalities of it, right? The fact of the matter is that the slow pace of movie making means that it's probably going to be like a, at least a couple years before we see their next adventures. So by the time we... The young Avengers have, are going to be in their 30s. <laughs> yeah, the young Avengers ain't going to be that young by the time they debut. Yeah. So I mean, they can always CG them younger. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Shave off some years, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I think I just have a thing about seeing people in their 20s pretend to be teenagers. I'm not a big fan of that. But it, it's pretty typical, I know. Thing. Yeah. Like, I feel like every teenager, quote unquote, teenager we've seen in any show in Hollywood has always been in their 20s. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's tough, yeah. man. Yeah. I don't know how that's mm. going to play out. I mean, maybe maybe by the time she recruits all the other young Avengers, they'll just call themselves the Avengers or maybe even some other team name. But we'll recognize what they're supposed to represent. It would just feel weird to call them the young Avengers because they probably will be in their 20s by then. Yeah. Well, to be fair... They probably would have been around just as long as the actual Young Avengers comic would would have been around at this point, (laughs) by this point. So, yeah, it's just that in comic book time, they don't age as fast because you can, you know, you can have Franklin Richards be a teen or young teenager or I don't even know how how old he's supposed to be. Yeah, he's a prepubescent and he's been that way for like 40 years. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds pretty frustrating. I mean, but I guess there that must be like he must be the spirit animal of the fanboys. Yeah, yeah. Forty-year-old comic book fanboys who never grow up. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Um, but I was gonna say, like, it just. Yeah, it just feels like for every issue that comes out, if you look at that, if you look at a story arc, a 12-issue story could literally happen within the span of a week, if you really think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on how how quick that they go. So you could have hundreds of issues, and numerically speaking, that could be a year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Even less than a year. Yeah. Even less than a year, even though, you know, if you start from issue one, they're still working on rotary phones in the household. And by issue <laughs> 500, <laughs> they're straight on using iPhones and and uh, Androids and what whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> but only one year has passed. Yeah, it's been a crazy year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um try not to think about the sliding timeline too often yeah yeah i mean it'll just ruin your it'll ruin the The suspension of belief yeah the immersion exactly so you just enjoy it man anyone who who makes a big deal about immersion and and says my immersion you're ruining my immersion (laughs) like let go just let go all right, just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Not everything is gonna make you stop and think about these things. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is the part where I guess I can talk about things a little bit more in terms of just my personal thoughts. But uh, yeah, I I didn't think the plot was fine overall. I I didn't think it was anything fantastic or anything too substantive or meaningful but I, I, I mentioned earlier that the idea of these three characters that are tied to one another by the marvel legacy the marvel name and forming this team called the marvels i that's something that does work for me that's something that does appeal to me and I think I would have enjoyed seeing that moving forward if they had remained a team or even if they had a comic called the Marvels and it was about the three of them, I think Mm -hmm. I could get behind that. Mm -hmm. But I think where it was sort of a missed opportunity for me and where um, was that I was thinking about it and it made me chuckle, but I was watching this movie and I thought to myself, what if they had decided to do the Marvels but it was their version of the Powerpuff Girls. Oh. (laughs) I would have been on board. If this movie had just been, if that was the template that they had applied to this movie, which was you have these three women working together and they're bound by this family name to be a team, but it's really just Marvel doing their version of the Powerpuff Girls. I would have been on board with that. I would have been like, okay, that's a fun, that's a fun approach to this series. Yeah, it's fun, definitely. Yeah, super, super lighthearted. 
I think it would be uh-huh. a good idea. So, so which one of the Marvels would be Blossom, Bubbles, and Buttercup? Buttercup is obviously Monica, because she's kind of the angry one. Okay. Bubbles okay. would be Miss Marvel, because she's the bright-eyed, doe-eyed, naive one. And <laughs> Buttercup would, uh, no, Blossom would be Captain Marvel. Carol there we Danvers. go. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. Uh, Writes itself. Exactly. That that should have been yeah. that should have been the plot, dude. It it would have been Marvel meets Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I do have an appreciation for that show. That's something that it's not overly complicated, but it's just a fun, entertaining watch. Maybe that would have been a little harder to pull off, uh, especially because Powerpuff Girls has a very unique uh, visual style to it. But still, I feel like if they had just applied that here, we could have had a fun adventure movie. And it wouldn't, and it's something that doesn't necessarily need to be about too much either. And Professor Utonium could have been Nick Fury. Oh, oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Darven could have uh, been Mojo Jojo. <laughs> uh yeah yeah see see it's a missed opportunity there's, there's something there it's a missed opportunity for sure for sure the other thought that i had and this this one is definitely more of a, a reach and far less likely to be something that they could have done or that they would have done yeah but the other thought that i had was I would have it would have been interesting if they had done the Marvels as magical girls. Ooh. If they had been like Sailor Moon, I would have been mm-hmm. I would have been on board with that too. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I think that would have been too much of a gamble for the studio because they ignorant and they don't know nothing. And if you told them that Sailor Moon is just this huge smash hit, they would have been like, I don't know who Sailor Moon is. So yeah. <laughs> why should I make this their our version of Sailor Moon? Um what what does that do for me? But but yeah, that's that's they ignorance getting in their own way. Yeah, true that. Yeah. What did you I think wanted of to that? go back to uh our conversation about Kamala because there was one sure. more thing about her in this movie that I wanted to talk about a little bit because to me, it felt like Kamala was meant to be the heart and soul of the movie. She was kind of the one who mm-hmm. brought everyone together and mm-hmm. like helped Carol and Monica reconcile and, and you know be comfortable with each other as family again. And then um, if we're looking at the movie it, itself as a story about family and found family in its various forms, then... The fact that Kamala's own family, like we were saying, the fact that they're on they're in on this adventure as well, it kind of like highlights that idea, you know, like her family's in a surprising amount of scenes, and mm-hmm. we were just talking about how silly or ridiculous it was for Nick Fury to take him with him to the space station because it's like he could have just bought them a hotel or something, you know, like why do you have to take him to the moon yeah. <laughs> like they there wasn't, and like not we only that, but you know that, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and like not only have did Zoom. he not only did he allow them to go to the space station, but I feel like the comic book version of Nick Fury would have been a lot sterner about that. Like he wouldn't just let them walk around. Yeah. But in the yeah. in the movie the family was just it looked like they could go anywhere they want in the station. They were walking around talking to the to the different workers and exploring the nooks and crannies and stuff. It was it was very strange. It gave it a more lighthearted tone for sure. Like yeah, I don't think that yeah. was necessarily meant. It felt like they it felt like they were doing it doing it for comedy relief. Yeah. And maybe the it's like you said, maybe the overall tone of the film was meant to be lighthearted, but it's a hard thing to reconcile considering this is the same Nick Fury who, you know, was fighting against Thanos, right? Who plotted to fight against Thanos. Or even earlier, if, if you point to something like Secret Wars, um, was tracking down an alien network of terrorists or something. Oh, Secret Invasion. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> Secret Invasion, sorry. It's hard to yeah. inv- imagine that that same Nick Fury who went through all that would be so lax in security <laughs> exactly exactly and, yeah and, and let's talk about nick fury for a little bit because there were some things in here that i was thinking about when i was watching the movie because uh secret invasion the, the disney plus show that had come out a little earlier this year and like yeah like you just mentioned the the tone of that nick fury the tone of that show and how nick fury was in that show is so different from the Nick Fury in the Marvels. But, I mean, I'm not saying that he's got to be locked into some kind of grim and gritty state at all times, but it just feels like for all the talk that Marvel gives of how their universe is connected, it kind of doesn't feel like Secret Invasion mattered at all, you know? It doesn't feel like Secret Invasion changed Fury. Like, he definitely feels like it feels like a version of nick fury that didn't experience the stuff in secret invasion mm-hmm. you know he's not the mm-hmm. one we see in the marvels isn't a man who's haunted by anything um he lost people yeah 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 and then like on top of that if we're also thinking about the plot points in secret invasion and the appearance of the scrolls here in the marvels seems like a bunch of the scrolls already had um, another planet that they could live on <laughs> or a colony or yeah. something, right? So how come all those scrolls on Earth couldn't go there? And then, like, on top of that, in this movie, those surviving scrolls ended up just relocating to New Asgard when Valkyrie shows up with the Rainbow Bridge and, and teleports them. So, like, why couldn't why couldn't the scrolls in Secret the Invasion other scrolls go that? there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just raises more questions and kind of makes me wonder, like, well, I mean, I guess I don't really wonder because it's not keeping me up at night. I don't really care. Yeah. It, it's care just one of those. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of those comic book things where you see like it, it happens in comic books all the time. Right. Like all these stories are written by different people and they're not they might be in communication with each other. Maybe their editors are talking to each other. But at the end of the day they're really only concerned with telling a good story in their own comic, in their own title. So whatever happens in some other comic, if they can kind of integrate that in neatly, then they can do it. Then they'll And, and they will if, if it's possible. But if, if not, then sometimes it's just, you know, the, 
the vicissitudes of deadlines and whatnot that prevents those kinds of little continuity smoothings to happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for all I know, maybe maybe they made this movie before they even made Secret Invasion or I don't know. Maybe maybe the movie takes place before Secret Invasion. Who knows? Yeah. But that's the thing, like the downside of these shared universes is and we've seen this in comics, um, is just once once you rely so heavily on the continuity of these things it's fun for a little while but then eventually it just begins to starts to crumble under its own weight yeah it crumbles under its own weight but it also becomes for some people the central focus of everything and takes precedent over like just the entertainment and enjoyment of just its own own thing right uh and yeah I, I, yeah. It's kind of like the Ultimate Universe back in the early 2000s when it first started. Those first, I don't know, five or six years were were pretty fun and exciting even. But then after a certain mm-hmm. point, it just got kind of overburdened with all of the various connections that they were trying to draw between the different series and titles and they kept launching new ones. And eventually they tried to clean it up and them trying to clean it up just made it a total mess for a while. Yeah. And then, you know, it got better for a little bit after that when guys like Hickman came on, but then eventually they ended up just ending that entire universe or that entire continuity. But yeah, yeah. enough time has passed since they ended it that they're going to relaunch it soon. So <laughs> it all comes <Yeah>. back <laughs> cycles, man. Comics, everybody. Exactly, exactly. It's a it's a beloved brand at this point that people had fondness for and well, it's also an opportunity for them to make money, so there we go. Yeah. We'll <laughs> they can that. cash in with the nostalgia people. Exactly. All the kids who grew up in the 2000s reading Ultimate Comics, Ultimate Spider-Man, they're now at the age where they're ripe for this kind of targeted nostalgia. Yeah, which is weird because it doesn't even feel like it was that long. <laughs> for well, that's because we're old I, men, Albert, and time passes differently for yeah, the old. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that wasn't laughter. Those were just pure tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to chuckle or else we'll cry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you right. also about the relationship between Monica and Carol. What did you think of that and how it played out in the movie? It's a good thing that you asked because I feel like they've been trying to establish that there's this tension between the two of them. And I don't know that I bought it. I don't granted. I don't really remember that first movie too well, but they, they made it seem like, Oh, um, Carol and Monica knew uh, Carol knew Monica when she was little and and you know Ma- uh, Carol goes into space and she abandons Monica and as a result of that abandonment um, when Monica's mother dies she doesn't have anybody and she just holds 
Carol responsible for that sense of abandonment, right? Yeah. And I don't know that I believed that that was like an, a sufficient amount of time had passed between them that it made sense. And and I don't mean in terms of the time of the abandonment. Like, I mean, again, I don't really remember the first movie too well at this point, but I don't feel like their relationship was so close that they had even spent that much time together where it made sense for her to feel abandoned in the first place, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, because I could have swore that the time that Carol had spent on Earth with uh, Monica Rambeau's mom wasn't even super long. It was pretty short from what I remember. Well, wasn't Carol best friends with monica's mom that's true i guess that was true the connection so like because of that maybe we're supposed to believe that even off screen like before the story of the first captain marvel movie took place maybe carol was already sort of relationship yeah maybe she was already active in monica's life when monica was a really little kid or just as she was growing up yeah Maybe that was implied. That I, I don't. To me too. Yeah, I don't remember though because, like you, I've only seen that first movie the one time when it first came out. So it's been a few years. Uh-huh. My memory's kind of foggy on it. But there yeah. are things that you said that I agree with too because there the fact that Monica was kind of I don't know if you want to call it holding a grudge or just resentful of Carol, like that. Mm-hmm. It it seemed like kind of an extreme reaction to me yeah because it just felt like it was manufactured for drama yeah yeah exactly exactly or dramatic effect yeah yeah monica was such a little kid when that happened and i would have thought that her growing up into adulthood would have given her enough time to to process what actually happened because yeah it wasn't like it wasn't like carol just was a deadbeat father or something you know like she didn't just exactly say, she oh didn't i don't want to take go care of and buy kid. cigarettes one day and yeah. just walk out forever <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. like yeah. maybe if you said that monica was resentful because even after everything with thanos happened and you know after the people were restored from the blip and even mm-hmm. after all that happened, Monica still didn't come back to, I mean, Carol didn't still come back to visit Monica. Maybe she could be resentful, but like on the other hand, maybe this is just my personality speaking. I would also think, well, it's kind of weird because it's been like so many years since she saw me. And last time she saw me, I was just a little girl, a little kid. So, you know, I can understand. I'm not going to be offended that she's not prioritizing visiting me when she's clearly doing all this other stuff in the galaxy. Yeah. Seemed, yeah, yeah. seemed kind of strange to take it that personally. Yeah. I mean, I get it. There's drama that they wanted to have, but it, it just felt, didn't feel natural. It didn't feel sensible. If they had leaned into it, I think the hints of that frosty relationship that we did get I think maybe the reason why it didn't feel 
super satisfying was because they didn't lean deeply into it. I feel like it tried became to, friends pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, it was treated more as a subplot and it got resolved pretty easily. Maybe if they had mm-hmm. built more into the resentment between Monica or the resentment that Monica had for Carol, if they had explored that yeah. with a little bit more depth, really helped us understand why she was hurt or upset. Yeah. Then it wouldn't have felt like just manufactured drama. It, it could feel like a story where this woman was feeling um, just years of frustration towards somebody that she thought she could trust, you know? But yeah. just the yeah. way that it was portrayed within the movie, it, it didn't really feel like that. I f- it's It's one of those situations where... I guess we as the audience, we're kind of expected to to do more work, you know, like we have to use our imaginations to to pretend or tell ourselves that, yeah, these are all the reasons why Monica is right to feel this way about Carol, because she did leave her, she did abandon her and, you know, all of that. So, yeah, I don't know. That That's just... I guess it just would have been a different thing to focus on, but this movie already felt like it was trying to juggle a bunch of stuff. So maybe that's Mm. why they gave it, you know, they gave their relationship some lip service and some dramatic elements, but it, it, I felt like I would have been more engaged or invested in it if they had maybe stripped away some of the other plot elements and focused more on their relationship yeah 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 it goes back to well, going back what we were saying earlier like if they had ignored the entire thing about darben like if they just cut that character out completely ignored the plot about the Kree trying to get revenge on captain marvel and just made it a story about these three ladies who got quantum entangled with each other and then two of them happened to have a frosty relationship because of something in the past and they just all mm-hmm. had to figure out how to work together in order to untangle themselves, that would have been plenty of drama, you know? Like, then you already have this built-in conflict between two of the leads, and um, it's it's just plenty of storytelling opportunities there in and of itself, but then you just lose the potential for a lot of action sequences and flashy um, CG fights and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. It just feels like if they had just focused more on that drama, um, it probably would have been a tighter movie. It probably would have made more sense and would have been more compelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was going to also say that I feel like for Monica, part of it also requires us to... I, I'd have to watch it because I haven't watched it since. But to go back to WandaVision, and I feel like there might have been bits and pieces in there that kind of explain her resentment for Carol for Captain Marvel. But even oh, even then, like even then, I don't remember seeing anything in um in WandaVision that really gave me the impression. Like I'm I I think I vaguely remember that there were things that she wasn't happy about, but it never seemed like it was severe enough that whatever issues she had with 
um, Captain with Carol was enough that she was in this place where she was like, oh, I can't talk to her right now because I'm not really in the headspace because, you know, I'm just not ready for it. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know if I really bought that their their emotional falling out was so severe that it was something that would have that sort of a reaction. But I don't know. Yeah, maybe I would have to watch uh, WandaVision again just to be sure. Yeah, I have a feeling that you're right, though, because mm-hmm. I guess I feel like if there was something like that in WandaVision, I, f- I feel like we probably would have remembered it. But mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that was necessarily a big part of of WandaVision, because that story, I think, was more about wanda herself yeah, yeah. And, exactly and, yeah like if they Monica did put something in it would have just been yeah exactly if they did put something in it might have been just to be a breadcrumb to lead to this but even then that that kind of wasn't i don't know i don't know if that was necessarily enough right it's something it's like you said if they had leaned into it instead of just breadcrumbs in in uh, wandavision and in you know the universe of madness or whatever anything that could (laughs) potentially be connected to this then it would be a more tight movie uh that it would be a more tight story that you'd be witnessing because all of the all of those details are right there in front of you but because all of these details are spread out throughout all these other shows and movies that they've been seeding for however long that they've been seeding it. um, It just feels like if you haven't watched it, all they're going to give you is these little bits of flourishes and you just have to take it on faith that, Oh yeah, that's, that's just how they feel. That's just how these characters feel. And it's, pretty unsatisfying yeah because if if you have to have watched a whole other tv series that came out two years ago or two and a half or whatever years ago just to understand or to to make sense of a character's uh emotional state in this movie then i think that's just you know bad storytelling you shouldn't have to like everything that we should need to know in order to enjoy and appreciate the story should be contained within this movie, you know? It it, it really makes mm-hmm. very little sense to expect the audience to remember, I don't know, like a two-minute scene in episode six of WandaVision. Like, that's, that's the crux mm-hmm. of Monica's character in the Marvel. Well, come on, man, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um... It's just a bad it's bad for storytelling and maybe they think it's good for marketing but yeah that's that does nothing for me. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any thoughts right. on Carol's character? Um I I think they did try to inject some pathos in her uh when they revealed that 
she was aware of the devastation that she had wrought on Cree, and she's just been living with that guilt for all these years. And that's the reason why she hasn't come home. Uh, that's the reason why she uh, she lives with this guilt, and she's been trying to make it right. And that's why she um, abandoned uh, Monica, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, even even then, I was. <clears throat> I feel like that's another thing that they've been seeding through all these other stories because. I think that was supposed to be like this big revelation for us in story because we've seen Captain Marvel around, but I don't think they've ever explicitly said what she's been doing or where she's been this whole time. So it was meant to, I have a feeling it was meant to be this huge revelation for us as the viewer to, to, to see this and be like, so that's where she's been this whole time. <laughs> but I don't know. It just kind of fell, fell flat to me. I didn't really feel like it was much of a revelation. Um, like I know that she had been in space for a really long time, um, you know, working on various projects, but the reveal that what she was working on was, was this uh, really doesn't do much for me. Yeah, it's kind of a head-scratcher, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, One of the things that I thought was kind of strange, too, about her actions in the movie was when they were trying to evacuate that Skrull planet or that Skrull colony, she was pretty quick to be pragmatic about it. And and even though Kamala was trying to save everybody, Carol, you know, being the adult, I guess, recognized that it wasn't really feasible. And all the best they could do was just save whoever they could, but they couldn't indefinitely remain and try to help every single individual like she was pretty quick to be pragmatic about that um and then later on in the movie when they're on the water planet they're getting chased by the kree fighter fighter jets or whatever you want to call them starfighters kamala is ready to teleport out of there or use the jump point and escape but carol is like no we can do this we can save everybody like what happened yeah. there man like that was a that was a weird know. scene yeah that was a weird scene for me because i just feel like she could have just gotten out and flown yeah yeah <laughs> you know it was it's just like, like maybe maybe what? she stayed maybe she piloted her ship to help uh monica and kamala but number one monica also herself could fly and if her powers um like i guess she didn't really we didn't really see her fully expend the magnitude of her powers until the very end of the movie uh monica Mm -hmm. but um we know that she can turn intangible so like she would have been safe and then kamala herself like she was, I guess 
being in the starship was the only way for Captain Marvel to feel like she could protect Kamala or protect the quantum ban. But it, mm-hmm. it also does feel like if if Captain Marvel had just flown around under her own power and just used her own powers to destroy all those other ships, it would have been a lot more efficient. Yeah. I mean, in Infinity War, we saw her destroy Thanos' ship, like... She was wrecking Completely and utterly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? So the idea that she would have as much trouble as she did, that doesn't make too much sense to me at all. <laughs> yeah. It goes back to the point we were making earlier about how inconsistently her power levels are portrayed. Because mm-hmm. she struggled with those two guys, those foot soldiers in Kamala's house. Now she's struggling against other starfighters. But then we also know she's powerful enough to reignite an entire sun. Mm. So, you know, I'm not even comparing her feats to the feats that she did in other movies. I'm just solely looking at what's in this movie. And even in this movie, her power levels are inconsistent. Like you would think that somebody who's powerful enough to reignite a dead son would be able to beat up two foot soldiers or take out a few fighter jets. Mm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know. I don't mean to nitpick about stuff like that, but I can I don't know. I I just can't help thinking about it's hard. It. It's hard when when you've read It's hard to Yeah. Yeah. When you read a ton of superhero comics, those are just the things that you subconsciously notice. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it doesn't I'm I don't I hate the idea of becoming one of those comics people who who has to be that way. It was like Excuse me, sir. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me at all. In issue 59, she clearly showed that she has the power to ignite his son. <laughs> but I guess but, we have yeah. become those guys. <laughs> I mean, but there's there. There's nitpicking and then there's like consistency, right? Like it's just I, about the internal logic of this movie. That's all. Exactly. Exactly. Like even if it wasn't a comic book movie, it was if it was a movie where any sort of logic was applied and I was put in a position where I have to suspend my disbelief or I, I have to ask these sorts of questions, then it's failed as a movie to you know, to do the most basic job that it's that it has, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unless they're doing it for a uh, thematic or a philosophical reason, there's no like excuse, especially if it's something where the story is predicated on the logic of the plot, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I can't I can't I just can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And speaking of the water planet, did that planet get totally destroyed at the end? Like, did those portals that were sucking all the water, did they just continue to perpetuate until they sucked all the water out of that planet? I imagine so. Because when they escaped from there, they were like, oh, these people are all 
dead. And, you know, Carol was like, we got to go back. But they didn't because they were pretty sure they, they were all gone and dead. Mm, okay. It kind of makes our heroes look a little bad. All these casualties that piled up under their watch. They're not very good at what they do. <laughs> uh, I guess you have any other um, No. I think I'm good there. I'm okay to talk about the themes of the movie if you want to go to that. This movie had themes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's on the list of things that you have written down here. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. I feel like one of the things that they were trying for was the idea of like forgiveness and hmm. the idea of yeah it's it's well maybe not quite forgiveness because well maybe uh, i don't know because the whole thing the whole point of the movie was that carol has to live with the fact that she annihilated the kree planet right or she is the at the root of the annihilation of the planet and she lives with this guilt but eventually like you said kamala is kind of the the heart of this story and she ends up being the one to teach captain marvel like what it means to forgive herself for these things and i I guess that's supposed to make it that's supposed to be the thing that redeems her in her eyes. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's a very it's loose theme. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 like, I don't think it was executed in any way that really made me feel like, yeah, that was a movie that was about forgiveness. It, it just really felt, felt like it was tacked on and then just as a thing to you know to go over yeah or even a minor thing mm -hmm. and even if we were to look at it as a movie about finding redemption because we see carol try to you know rectify the things the mistakes that she made in the past i feel like that's Mm -hmm. a little bit tenuous too like it, it it only really works on the most superficial level yeah so it's hard to say that that was really anything that added to the depth of it yeah well okay there's the forgiveness that she finds with monica there's a forgiveness she gets for being the annihilator um do the kree actually realize that she was the one who saved them though at the end yeah. Well, weren't they all kind of looking up at the sun and seeing her? I don't know, man. But if you think about it, logically speaking, if you're sitting on the surf, if you're standing on the surface <laughs> of the planet and you see you really something... gonna see something that far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how can they see her? How can they recognize yeah, yeah. that as her? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I think in terms of the symbolism of the scene that's what they're trying to communicate but realistically speaking that's not something that makes a whole lot of sense 
Yeah. Yeah. There's, There's also, also something that uh, feels weird about it because the Kree were the aggressors in the entire movie. And not only that, but they were the ones who were the reason for their own destruction in the first place. And they attacked those two other planets and really messed them up, made them unlivable. But they're the ones who get saved at the end, whereas the Skrull planet and the Water planet they're just they out of luck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it just seems like yeah. it seems unjust. Yeah. Life ain't fair. <laughs> Life ain't fair. Maybe that's the message of the movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um Yeah, I'm with you. Like I don't I don't That that's why even when I said like forgiveness was a theme. I wasn't super confident about it. I just saw it coming up again and again, but I don't think it was the most thought out theme. If it was a theme other than, you know, other than to say that they had a theme, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, I, I, I can't say that, uh, what they had was, really meaningful after that uh it's it's pretty pretty much just an adventure film yeah feels like even the theme of family like whatever the movie had to say about that it was pretty bland and milk toast you know like there wasn't anything unique or special about it didn't really feel like there was much of an emotional heart to the movie so there wasn't yeah very much depth either i was gonna say honestly i'm kind of getting tired of this idea of like, I like family as a theme, but it feels like that's just kind of become the go-to theme for a lot of these movies where it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, it it almost feels like we're watching the uh, fast and the furious, (laughs) fast and the furious, furious cation of these movies where it's like, it's all about family. You know, because that's what it's about. <laughs> What's more touching and moving and meaningful than the hat? Right. You know, right. found family. These characters, they all hate each other, but towards the end, they're the family that they all needed. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Brie Larson in that, that franchise as well? She was. Yeah, she is. I, like, I don't know what her role is, but I've seen her in the commercials. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the other thing I was thinking is that because we've talked about so many superhero comics, like it's just a big thing in terms of our coverage on our podcast. And we've read a lot of superhero comics over our lifetimes, but we've also Mm. talked about them a whole lot too. And I feel like generally we, we strive to appreciate and critique them as as art and i'm not saying like art in like some kind of pretentious capital a sense where everything we talk about is like high art or life-changing yeah exactly exactly i'm just saying that (laughs) like when we when we the craft of it yeah we usually strive to read the text and examine it with as much depth and intelligence as we can muster and maybe sometimes we're not always the best at it but it's like when anyone anywhere is looking at any kind of art any piece of art whether in whatever kind of medium whether it's comics or 
uh, prose or poetry or, or anything, a big part of that is interacting with the thing that you're examining, right? Meaning that mm. you think about what you're reading and experiencing. You're, that's what it means to, to read the text. So, you know, if I say read the text when we're talking about a movie, that's, that's just what I'm talking about. But something like the Marvels, it just feels a bit empty, I guess. Like, I don't think it's necessarily bad from a craftsmanship point of view. Maybe it's bland, but I think the thing that kind of hurts it, in my eyes at least, is that I don't think there's just much to interact with. It feels like it's less like mm. art and more like pure entertainment. Like you were saying, it's just an adventure movie. You know, and that's fine. There's plenty of stuff that's just made for pure entertainment. There's just stuff that's made to be enjoyed for the adventure of it all. Yeah. You know, people do enjoy simple action and simple stories with fun characters and, and sometimes that's good enough um and definitely a ton of superhero comics are like that especially corporate superhero comics for marvel and dc um so i guess in that sense as long as the mcu continues to persist longer and longer it's gaining more in common with comic books in that regard we're we're, we're mm. getting a lot of the the stuff that you know it's kind of just fluff or it's baggage or, yeah yeah like if you read it you or if you watch it you well yeah if you read or watch it you can enjoy it but it doesn't necessarily always give you something to think about or it doesn't always you know resonate with you or or touch you in any way it's just something that you can consume to to entertain your mind or occupy your mind you know it's like like reading a comic on the toilet just so you can have something so you won't be bored, you know? Right, right, right. Hmm. Any other final thoughts, Albert? I guess we can talk about the tags. Just, oh, the X-Men? You know. And the Young well, Avengers? I, yeah, the X-Men and the Young Avengers. I don't really have much to say except that, yeah, they existed. We got to see <laughs> Beast in in the uh in the tag so you know and binary tees binary binary. (laughs) yeah um (laughs) we also get to see yeah uh kamala khan is gonna put together her version of the young avengers we see Haley stanfield as kate bishop um remember everyone kate bishop is 23 so uh It's canonical in, in in the MCU. Kate Bishop is 23. She said that at the end of the movie, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. Cause, funny. Because uh, Kamala was saying, we're going to put together a team of young Avengers. And Kate Bishop goes, I'm 23. <laughs> so, you know, if anything deviates from that, we get to complain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And then they teased the idea that, oh, we're going to get to see um, what's it called? The Young Avengers. We're going to get to see uh, Stature. And I guess that's going to be their big three Stature, Kamala Khan, and uh, Kate Bishop. Don't forget about America Sorry. Chavez. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I just meant that that was the big three that she was referencing. Oh, that she named, yeah, specifically. Ant Man's yeah. daughter. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, I think uh, in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we also saw Isaiah. Was it no Eli Bradley? Patriot. Yeah. That. But I don't remember if we actually saw him with powers. I, I don't remember. It's been a while. No. Like anything indicating that he was going to get powers? Well, I'm sure they could just make that happen. They can make anything they want happen. They can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> they still have the power of childlike imagination. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, well, I will give this one quick anecdote. So I was still in my travels when I was watching the movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was... I was going to spend most of this first part of the week on the road. And I didn't know once I got back if I'd have the time to go see the movie. So when I was in Orlando, that was the only chance I got to to see it. So I was like, okay, I'll just watch it here. So I went to this one theater called, I think it was like called Epic Theaters. And I, I think it's like a chain or something. And when I went there, it was super dead. And the other thing about it was, as I was watching the movie, there was like something going on with the camera so that every every scene that I watched had like this weird pink tint or aura to it where you could see these pink like floating blobs in oh man in, like wherever wherever whenever you saw like any part of the movie that was lit up or or light or white um in those white sections you would see the like this pink blobby thing just kind of floating around um yeah it, it certainly didn't help me to enjoy the movie <laughs> man <laughs> that's pretty annoying at that point it was just like yeah at that point i was just like i don't know if i'm when i'm gonna get to a chance to watch it so i have to watch it now otherwise i'm not gonna be able to make it for the podcast yeah yeah man See? it's Things unfortunate <laughs> the things we do for you people. <laughs> I watched this one you on opening night and the theater I watched it in, it wasn't completely full, but it was it was pretty full. And okay. Okay. when they showed when they got to the post credit scene and uh beasts came on screen, people in my theater were cheering and hooting and hollering and clapping and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was completely unmoved. <laughs> I think I rolled my eyes. Yeah, it was a pretty stupid thing to to cheer for. It's <laughs> like when you look at the gimmicky gimmickiness of it all and you wonder like who do the studio executives think this is for? It's like in those moments where you look at the audience and you go, okay, this is who they're trying to appeal to. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can't say yeah. I'm too fond of another multiverse kind of story or the idea that the X-Men are going to be introduced into the MCU through the multiverse. Yeah. I guess it's all going to build up to secret wars. Secret wars. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna get the Fantastic Four. We're gonna get the uh, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even have the spirit to finish it. 
Like, well, you're not pumped I think that's up the for problem. Deadpool 3? Uh, no. I think that's the problem, though. Like, with, with the first early phases of the Marvel Universe, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, they were just dealing with your standard, I guess, alien despot with Thanos and the Infinity Stones. But, you know, you didn't really have to think about it too much. And I think with um, with this saga, or whatever you want to call it. The multiverse saga. The multiverse saga. The thing is, I wasn't a fan of multiverses to begin with. I wasn't, like, huge on them, but I was, like, whatever. But now that we've had X amount of movies in this saga, and we've had to have that much explaining going on i yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty sagged out <laughs> um, <laughs> you know i just i'm good it's like every day good. you wake up and you find yourself living in the multiverse of madness yeah every day i wake up and they have to explain to me under new conditions and terms what exactly is going on um i'm just tired of it i just want to go back to just straightforward movies <laughs> just you know hold up hold like up the, so are you telling me that you've got mcu fatigue i've got multiverse fatigue okay okay <laughs> that's different um it is it's very different mhm mhm <laughs> so uh i'm 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 guessing I'm just saying this because I, I finished watching it, uh, but I'm thinking that you probably wouldn't enjoy Loki season two. Um, I don't know anything about it uh, except what you told me offline, which was there's going to be some time travel stuff in there. And yeah, we know me and time travel. So yeah, yeah. It's got some of your least favorite uh, storytelling tropes for sure. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess that's all I got. You got anything else? Nope. That's pretty much it. I mean, we've all already right. talked longer than the actual movie itself. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you well, got the self-awareness to recognize that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, if anyone has anything they'd like, they'd like to contribute to the conversation please do hit us up we are so glad to be back and we desperately desire to hear your voices not literally your online voices your chat text voices <laughs> so feel free to hit us up on our email at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or you can you know, message us on DM at our Instagram at Between the Gutters, or you can tweet at us. I'm I'm gonna say tweet just to be a vindictive uh, dick. <laughs> um, even you can tweet at us. Even main news, major news sites, whenever they cite Twitter or X, they always have to qualify it by saying X, formerly known as Twitter, or something to that effect, because yeah. nobody will actually know what X is. They should just. If they really wanted to mess with Elon, they should just call it X and keep it at X 
and just see what people how people respond to that you know <laughs> like if, granted i don't they've done studies to show that um tweets and uh having a presence on twitter doesn't necessarily affect your engagement it doesn't, it doesn't drive traffic yeah yeah it doesn't drive traffic exactly but still um yeah but you can we'll take it you can still message us on those on those things and we'll respond to you because we we desire attention <laughs> um other than that we're also yeah. on threads we're on threads yes threads rhymes with breads which is what we're trying to make straight breads <laughs> we're trying to make paper we're trying to make bread we're trying to get cash <laughs> but yeah that being said um if you happen to be listening to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on feel free to help us out by liking subscribing and you know uh giving us a as high a rating as you think we deserve on whatever platform you're listening to us on because that will boost us in the algorithm so there we go that's right thanks everybody for tuning in next week we will return to our monthly deadly class coverage with volume 11 Thanks for listening. Peace out. Bye. the recommendations you had for the episode oh, shoot i forgot <laughs> we forgot to do that part <laughs> i'm still recording uh, i was so gonna say just throw it in at the end <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll take it i'll take it i'll take it this is a blooper but it's also got quality value to it i was gonna do the powerpuff girls and sailor moon no way dude sailor Those moon was gonna eyes. be my recommendation Reels? Yeah. There we go. Yeah. See? Uh, that's we, what I had written down. We in sync here. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. There there we go. Anybody still listening? Tune in to episode 56 <laughs> because we talked about Sailor Moon in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs>